Welcome to Cinemus, the podcast normally dedicated to discussing films found in the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. But once again, not today. For the second time in a row, we are breaking format to take part in a beloved annual tradition in which we are discussing our top 10 films of 2017. And for that, there's nobody I'd rather be joined by than my good friend and enabler of my OCD, Anthony Badger. What's up, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm really good. I am stoked to be here as always. This is this is the thing that starts our obsession with podcasting. We've been doing this. This is our sixth year, isn't it? Since 2012? Yeah. yeah. It's always a very good time. So I'm excited to bring this into the cinemas fold. So before we dive in, let's get our housekeeping stuff out of the way as always. Thank you everybody for tuning in and listening. We hope that you enjoy the show. If you do, remember to go over to our website at cinemus.com. That's C-I-N-E-M-U-S-T-S dot com. Every episode we've ever recorded is on there. There's weekly written content. And it's going to be a great place if you click on this post to leave in the comments your favorite and least favorite films of this year. We always love to hear what we got right and what we got wrong. Usually we hear what we got wrong. You can also find all of our shows on iTunes and SoundCloud. Like us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, But yeah, that's it. Let's let's dive right in because these always go quite long. We have a lot to say when we talk about an entire year. So let's give some general impressions. Anthony, 2017 in film, how was it for you? Uh, it was kind of weird. Kind of ups, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. I felt I felt it was mostly down when I think on it in in hindsight. But, Me too. But at the same time, I, there's quite a few things that I felt pretty positive about. There, let me let me put it this way: there's not a lot of things that I thought were great, but there's a lot that I liked if that makes any sense. Yes. No, I'm in the same boat that um, movie after movie that I expected to blow my mind uh, and be amazing. I walked out of them going, yeah, that was pretty good. And I wound up getting to the point where I would walk out of these movies and ask myself, do I even like movies anymore? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not yes. loving things the way I used to. But in getting this list together, I became a lot more optimistic because I was worried I wouldn't be able to come up with 10 movies that I could be positive about. And I wound up coming up with 15. So overall, I'll probably say it's good. Let's not get overly dramatic. But at the same time, I don't feel like this was a very good summer at the very least. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I It was kind of a, I think, I, I've noticed maybe, the, I don't know about your list, but for mine, I've noticed that it was, a, it was kind of like an experimental kind of weird year. Like there's a lot of stuff that I think was really ambitious that I really liked. But like I said, not great. Nothing that feels like a cohesive. I don't know that, I, that we can add to like the the that we can add to a thousand and one movies that you have to see. Before sure, you die, sure. You know? Yeah, look, looking at mine, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I could see, I could see this being a pretty experimental year. My, I don't know. My lists always uh, start to look the same to me. There's, there's like specific slots that fill a specific genre or type of movie, so I'm pretty predictable in that way. Well. We aren't just talking about the top 10 movies of the year. We also love to talk about the crap, the crap, the crap with (laughs) our bottom three. And we like to do that up front because it's good to get our negativity out of the way early so that we can spend the majority of the show being positive about the movies we actually did like. Yep. Um, So how about we we mosey on over? Let's talk about what we perceive to be the worst three films of 2017. Uh, So really quickly, we should go over the ground rules for this list. This is a tradition, so we're very rigid with our rules we count down each of our lists meaning we're going to start on this list at three and work our way up to the worst movie of the year we alternate our picks three three two two one one and if a movie shows up on somebody's list that will appear on the other's list at a higher ranking 
we table the discussion until the film is at its highest ranking. So with that out of the way, Anthony, why don't you start? Tell us what the third worst movie of the year was, in your humble opinion. Um, so my my bottom list, I, I for the first time ever, has like a structure to it. Very cool. Uh, where I kind of this was the year to me of of everything that's wrong with genre franchise filmmaking, and I kind of tiered this with like by by level of mistakes. <laughs> Uh, so my so my number three here is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Which is an honorable mention on the worst of list for me. There you go. Yeah, I mean, this this movie, you, you know this about me. I'm a pretty big Pirates fan. I'm a pretty big oh, yeah. apologist for the kind of uh, movies that it throws back to. The sort of like old school, like 50s and 60s adventures on the high seas with monsters that come yeah, out yeah. and stuff. You even like that. kind of like the fourth one, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I, I mean, I it's think the, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's not as good as the first three, but which I, I, and that's the thing. Like the first three, I legitimately think are like a masterpiece of this kind oh, of I'm, of this like genre of, of storytelling. I'm with you. I'm, I'm a huge, huge apologist for two and three, despite their messes. Yeah. And I think uh, Curse of the Black Pearl is one of the absolute best modern blockbusters that's ever been put out. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. this fifth one is just it's just a train wreck from start to finish and for me like the big the big thing that irritates me is that if you watch those first three movies uh like like all in a row uh there's there's a really like cohesive world that's been set up by uh uh who who are the writers the terrios uh yeah it's uh rossio and terry rossio and terry yeah yeah yeah. i don't know yeah, I'm you getting him mixed up about. with Chris Terrio, who's oh, yeah. writing everything yes. now. Yeah, yeah. Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. That's, That's what it is. is. You're right. Okay, my bad. Um, but I, I think they did a lot to like set up a world that that made a lot of sense and was really rooted in a lot of uh, pirate lore. That's mm-hmm. like real world pirate lore. Mm-hmm. And for this fifth one, they pretty much just threw all that out. The, the, um, and what I don't remember who directed this, but. They whoever the this director is, it, the guys who did Contiki. Contiki, yeah. yeah. But along with Johnny Depp, they decided that they were gonna like redo the whole story. And this is just a ridiculous thing to do because Johnny Depp has never even seen these movies, according to him. This is the only one he's ever watched. So okay. So and you got to imagine Johnny Depp's acting like he is just doing take after take after take of weird stuff. We have to assume on these <laughs> pirates movies, and then somewhere in editing, the director and the editor probably choose the best takes. So Johnny Depp doesn't have any concept of what these movies are, and he's got creative control over this one. So there's things that just like completely break continuity beyond the fact that it's just a story that sucks. This role that he is so synonymous with Johnny that with uh, Jack Sparrow. Yeah, this, he, he's this just, is the one he'll go down for, I think. And he just is just driven it off a cliff, which is just so irritating to me because he plays this role in in every role currently, and I hate it. And this is like the one time I want him to do it, and it it feels so tonally different to me on this time around. And I think it's just because he has some creative control and he has no idea what he's doing. Do you feel like he deserves like to take a nice vacation um, through Europe on a train? And on that trip, he just is yeah. brutally stabbed 12 yes, times. Absolutely. That's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. No, I, <laughs> I, so anyway, for me, this is, it's just, it's a franchise that's gone on way beyond its welcome. Even though there's people like sure. me that, that wanted a fifth entry, like I, it's just, it needs to stop. I looked forward to it on the grounds that it was actually a farewell. Yeah. That it was a, a cap to everything because I, we are going to talk about this on the top 10 list, but I'm a very, I very much like my stories to have endings and well-executed goodbyes. And I 
had hopes that's what this was going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, nope, it just just keeps going on. Yeah. Has some ideas about Jack Sparrow being beyond his prime, but they don't really do anything with that. No, it's just they don't do yeah, anything like you with said, any of these ideas. It's Johnny there's, stumbling I, around. I even appreciate. I mean, I think if there's a strong chord of like at least like of a good concept here, it's what they do with Barbosa and and how how they kind of wrap him up. But it's just yeah. it's executed so poorly and. There's just really random parts throughout it that don't make any sense that never come up again. There's this part where the Navy is employing witches to like yep. control the. I don't remember <laughs> I what they're doing, that. but oh yeah, God. but it's because it only is in like this one scene and it has nothing to do with anything anyway. It'll it'll come back along with the mermaid and the guy from the fourth one. Oh my we're gonna God. Start, yeah, we're seriously. Start these so. Yeah. The, the sole reason that did not make my worst of list, I really like the opening sequence where they are dragging the bank through the town. Yeah, I think, I think that's a lot of fun I'll say, and really good. I'll say for me, the uh, the moment that really got me that uh, that I felt like, oh, this is good pirates was the 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 scene with the guillotine. Oh yeah, that was the execution. Too. They're trying to get him out. That was like top notch Pirates of the Caribbean fun, crazy action. And but that's about the only time that this ever went anywhere for me that I enjoyed at all. Yeah, I agree. I uh, yeah, I didn't much enjoy it because I'm also into this lore, but it is enough. It has enough moments like that where I could uh, I could have some dumb fun mm. turn my brain off. All right. But uh, speaking of dumb fun to turn your brain off, my number three worst movie of 2017 is Fate of the Furious. Okay, yeah. Um, and I'm a fan. I've been a fan of the last three entries in this as franchise. Have I. As have I. I like them, uh, ironically, as I feel you're, you're kind of yes. meant to. Yes. But I, I find the, the beating heart that they go for on these you know, the last three have, has been surprisingly satisfying. Um, I was very taken aback with seven, how, uh, touching it was when we said goodbye to Paul Walker and let him drive off into the sunset. It was a good, it was a really good moment that I didn't expect to work as well as it did. Yeah. And to me, above all else, fate of the furious proves how much Paul Walker really was the core of this franchise, or at least his bond with Vin Diesel, because Another element of this franchise is, and it's one of the weaker parts of it, is that Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto is unflappable. He is nothing is ever out of his control. He will have the coolest one-liner thing to say. So Fate of the Furious makes that its driving plotline that he goes rogue for a good reason for family. Yes, and uh, (laughs) the the entire rest of the gang still cannot stop the one-man wrecking crew that is Dominic Toretto. But I don't, I don't think any of the crazy action sequences that this franchise is known for are, like, any good in yeah. this. I, yeah. I forget so much. Charlize Theron, bless her heart, can't do anything yeah. with this concept of being a, a cyber hacker, terrorist. Um, yeah. it, it's, it goes nowhere. It's, it's dumb fun, but it's not even that fun. The, no. the only reason this is, like my third worst and not higher up is that I do uh, hypocritically enjoy the very opening race where that, Dominic Toretto drives exactly, a crappy car. That's exactly what I was going to say. That, that, that opening race is the only scene in the whole movie that, or at least action sequence that reaches that ludicrous level that I am hanging on to this franchise for. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause for me, I just think it's, it's corny, fun, stupid. Like you said, there's an ironic way to like it that I really, really genuinely do. And, um, just just a quick anecdote like i i think i joked about this last time a fast and furious movie came out and i put it on my top it was, 10 list. it was your number 10 of the year yeah I think. so 
Um, but I joked that, and this is a common joke you hear online that that they should go into space. Oh, totally. But I'm I'm completely serious about that. And this this movie is is it's even though it's crazy and ridiculous, it's still like weirdly too grounded, and it's crazy in like all the wrong ways. On the flip side, I went to Universal Studios this past mm-hmm. uh, fall. On and the studio tour. Yeah, have you seen that? Oh, I sure have. It's it's bananas. They go into this thing and there's people hanging off of helicopters. Yeah. It's a Fast and Furious <laughs> segment just to, to get everyone up to speed. The, the, kind of a, a 3D virtual. Yeah, it's it's kind basically of, the same as their King Kong thing. You're yeah. In a tunnel with but projected it's, screens. It's just this insane chase sequence that is just completely out of control. And when it, when that ended, I was just like, yeah, that's what I wanted from one of these movies. It It's so silly, but like. You, if we, if you, if anyone had described Fast Five to you before you actually saw it, you'd think it's really stupid too. But it's, I did, and it, it's like it's stupid in like all the right ways. Yeah, I completely no, agree five, with you. Five is my favorite of the the franchise. Yeah, that that this was really close to making my top three as well as as far as being just problematic, horrible franchise filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. It, like like I said, it's it's corny, it's goofy. You basically have to turn off so much of your brain to enjoy it. But I. I feel in uh, the recent entries, this insistence they have on the importance of family works better than it has any right to, but the choices they make in Fate of the Furious with characters from like previous entries they expect us to care about, and it just goes nowhere, and there's all sorts of weird allegiances that are formed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's ludicrous. It's my number three because of that opening race. Some of the stuff with The Rock and Jason Statham is like, okay, I... I could like watch this at like a party with friends and be okay with it, but uh, I did not have a good time. This was a letdown yeah. from a franchise I really don't expect much from in the first place. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what is your number two? So my number movie? two is Transformers: The Last Night. You went. I did to not. I did not. I I don't pay for Transformers movies. I only watch them if I can watch them for free after they've already come out on DVD, and I did. And <laughs> uh, man, I mean the the thing about Transformers we. You've heard it all before why these are bad. Sure. But this one, it just, it is the worst by such enormous strides. So, so first of all, if anyone goes to a Transformers movie for anything at this point, this movie... Explosions and objectifying women, right? I mean, this, I guess it has that to some extent, but it, like, for example, you never see, maybe like once or twice, do you ever see a Transformer, like, actually transform? Like, that's how cheap this movie is. It'll be like, Bumblebee, turn into a car. And the camera will pan away and then, like, pan back and there's a car. And it does that over and over. That was, like, their linchpin yeah. when they first got this franchise yeah. going. I know. I know. Wow. It, it's 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 baffling. And so, for me, the reason this ranks higher than Pirates is that not only is this just a franchise that's gone on way too long, but it's it's a franchise that there is a like a weirdly dedicated fan base for that has done nothing but tirelessly outline exactly how to fix it over and over and over and over again. And Michael Bay just has ignored all of it and just seems to double down on the worst decisions. It's baffling to me. Why would he? They all make, they come close to making a billion dollars. I'm not like exaggerating, right? Like with a B. Well, yeah, but so this one didn't do as financially well. It's like the first time one of these hasn't done what they uh, projected it to do. Thank goodness. Uh, it, 
but I mean, I mean, it. I, I I'm not kidding. I I would watch all four of the Transformers movies maybe three times in a row before you could get me to watch this again. This wow. was so bad. Sir Sir Anthony Hopkins could not. Keep oh, your you know what seat. though? He is hilarious in it. He, he so he reportedly has like did not understand anything that they were asking him to do, <laughs> and you can tell Which, like. Which puts him in in company with um, Orson Welles in the original yes. animated. <laughs> yes, yeah. And the thing is, is like he is totally phoning it in, but he's phoning it in in like this this totally all out sort of way, where he's like he does that like you know the uh, what is he like hello Clarice or whatever. Like, yeah, he does that. He thing. does like that exact mannerism, but goes like dude and stuff like that. <laughs> it's it's wild. Uh, so if you can just watch the Anthony Hopkins scenes, I, re- I do recommend that. Get on, get online and check them out. <laughs> but, but otherwise, I mean, this it, and it was so boring. There's barely any, even like you said, barely even any like explosions, barely any exploitative stuff. Like there's nothing. It's just this three hours of Mark Wahlberg being confused. It's terrible. All right. There's well, also I... this weird implication that Shia LaBeouf's character died. Like really, yeah, kind of weird. Like in a horrible way, like he slipped and hit his head on the kitchen. We can only and, hope. And bled out. <laughs> Wasn't even anything cool. I don't know, but yeah. I just man, I don't understand why they've kept making these the way they have. Aside from like you said, the money, but I feel like the 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 voice of the audience continually apologizing for these films and trying to fi- trying to voice how to fix it. It it just blows my mind that you would ignore it five films in. It's weird. Yeah. Well. I totally missed it. This is uh, one of my favorite things about the bottom three lists is I always get crap because uh, uh, people disagree with my picks because they're like, there were way worse movies this year. And I say, that's true. I didn't go see them. So a spoiler for everyone listening, Boss Baby doesn't make my bottom three list because I took that $8 and I went to Chick-fil-A instead and I was very happy with my decision. (laughs) Sure. And for me that, you know, I I recognize that the emoji movie, a lot of people hated it, but yeah, Yeah, same thing. I didn't, I just did not uh, care to sit through that. You got, you got sense. Cool. Uh, well, we're not going to talk about my number two for very long because it is the live action remake of beauty and the beast. Mm. Yeah. Terrible. Is that, uh, does that show up on your list? No. For real? It doesn't. Oh my gosh, this blows my mind. Yeah. I was for sure confident that was your number one. No, it it, it was for a long time, until the summer. <laughs> uh, okay, I guess I will talk about it for a yeah. minute. This, this comes from a very personal spot, for, for both of us. Yes. We, have, we have gone on record, we love uh, the 1991 animated Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. It's uh, our favorite animated movie. I think it's, it skips around to being like your favorite all-time movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. So objectively speaking, this live action one, like I get how, why people would like it, why it wouldn't be this uh, horrible thing. And I respect it to me. This movie proves really what a filmmaking masterpiece. The 1991 movie really is because um, I don't think this movie offers anything new, which aggravates me first because Uh, everyone like went to the defense of it but i say we could have saved millions of dollars in production costs by just buying uh, the animated one but uh yeah from its production design to its cinematography to a lot of its acting choices i don't think it improves on anything i think it makes a lot of things worse Worse, and uh it kind of has the feel of something that was really clunkily glued together uh which you know it might have been i don't know but um yeah, I mean, it's essentially the same story, so I can't say, like, this story sucks, because I love it in a different movie. Mm-hmm. In a different movie, 
that has a much greater command of filmmaking form yeah and even storytelling i mean aren't aren't you the i think i'm getting this from you aren't you the one who told me like you could go through this with like a basic filmmaking handbook and like shot for shot prove that the original is better in almost every single way that is the the anchor which my entire review is yeah i mean i i agree completely and i think whatever yeah what, what you said whatever new this does bring to the table which is very little it's almost all just like bafflingly sloppily worse like yeah 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 no i i i hate this movie i really do but the thing is is that uh, like i said kind of my top three or my bottom three this year are are based around the structure of just like what the heck are you doing studio kind of a thing Mm -hmm. and like beating the beast kind of what you were saying about transformers like disney knew what they were doing they're they're printing their own money they know they know that minimal effort has to be put into this and people are going to eat it up yeah. because the music's great and i yeah i i swear to my ear which is not i'm not trying to say i'm super yeah refined but i swear there were elements where this didn't even sound like a new recording of the same music it sounded straight up like mm. copied from the cd of mm. the animated movie and just put back into this one yeah for me even the music on like almost every single song is just undeniably worse like oh, man you're you're i hate this movie but i just th- these transformers is worse you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i probably can't argue and yeah i don't i don't want to come after everybody who just like puts it on on a friday night because they like beauty and I the do. beast i'm just so I do get the cartoon yeah i'm so into this like i'll go back to my dvd shelf i'll get the old one and appreciate a perfect movie yeah instead of this hollow shell of an imitation of one yeah for sure cool well i i am like so intrigued now i I would have bet so much money that that would be your worst movie of the year. So what is the worst movie of the year, Anthony? So like we just talked about pirates and transformers, at least sort of, at least monetarily, it would seem that they justify having a fifth entry or an entry at all continuing. Uh, My number one is a franchise that started before it even began and died before it even began. (laughs) I don't know who on earth was asking for this and it is bad on every single level. It's the mummy mummy, which I also missed, but I have thoughts on this, uh, it's trash. I mean, it, I is, hear it. it is just unmitigated garbage. And and again, like I, I can go through it step by step and say what is bad about it. Like its story is just trash. There's nothing interesting going on. It is visually bland. I it, hear its protagonist is the, like the biggest unlikable scumbag yeah, ever. Yeah. He's so, I mean, he's almost, he's an anti-hero in a weird way, but it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But like, it's got all these references to all these things that make the continuity not make a whole lot of sense. Like, there's just nothing about it that works. But at the end of the day, what I really have to wonder is who on earth was asking for this Universal Monsters franchise? I mean, I know I do. I love those movies. They sure. are some of my all-time favorites. But I mean, like, it's, it's something that can compete with the Avengers or Star Wars. Like, who, what on earth was Universal thinking? So that's kind of like, I, I was down for the idea too, because to me, it doesn't make sense that this bombed so badly because yeah. Universal invented yeah. shared universes in yep. the thirties. They like, yep. they started this idea that all of these different characters from all these movies were in the same universe together. Yeah. So it is so weird to me. I mean, not that they were ever going to compete with something like um, Marvel or even DC, but that they could drop it this badly really surprises me except for i know that like the shoulders it was all resting on were alex kurtzman's oh yeah, and uh, i don't understand that decision who, who is hiring this guy he is the worst but, but it's a cool concept in theory like i would be so down for very good very cool 
uh, well, updates on Dracula. So and this the is the thing, though. Like you said, it, it can't compete with the Avengers. And like I agree. Like if if they had made something a little more low budget, a little more uh, based on practical effects, cool sets, mood, atmosphere, great. But that's not what this is. This is a superhero movie with totally unlikable characters that are all villains because it's actually a monster movie, and it just it is just basically just taking a dump on everything that Universal monsters have ever been. And it's just super confusing. I, I I can't even tell you how many times in the past year I've been just like up at night with my wife and I've been like, I've just brought up some random moment from this movie. Like, what what was this supposed to be? What were they doing? Because this, this movie just baffles me. The other thing is it, it, it like lifts almost directly sort of the whole plot for American Werewolf in London and just like shamelessly like so, shoves so it in So go watch here. that movie instead. Yeah, you should. I don't know. It is it is wild. And the other thing is, if you're going to reboot the Universal Monsters, I don't understand starting out with the Mummy. I know those Brendan Fraser movies are like I do because because of that angle, the adventure angle. But it's is not a that. Easier. There's okay, nothing that, adventurous about this. Okay, well then they screwed that up. But to, to yeah. me, to me, that does make the most sense. Like make it Indiana Jones esque. Like make it fun and yeah, or, and well, then and then again, you can figure out how to tackle. Uh, like Bride of Frankenstein or Dracula or somebody. Yeah, no, I agree. But that's, again, what I'm saying. Like, no matter what it is that they thought they were doing, they absolutely fumble it and do the almost as far opposite thing as you could possibly come up with. It's No, it's... It is insufferably bad it's it's sad because again in theory i'm i'm down for a shared universe with these monsters but if they want it to work like they really they really need to hire like somebody like guillermo del toro or somebody who like actually cares about this stuff well and and they they did did you know this that they did offer it to guillermo del toro many years ago and he turned it down and he says it's the he's so, so that should have clued them in if he couldn't pull it off well no we've talked about guillermo before and how i love him but also uh he is one of the most frustrating people in the world to me because he just takes on these projects and then puts them away that I really want him to make. Yeah, he's got like 20 pending on his IMDb page. But, right so now. he said he said in a recent interview when he was doing uh, promotional work for The Shape of Water, he said that this is the one, the one thing that he's ever been offered and turned down or not done that he regrets is the Universal Monsters. Mm. And I'm like, Seri- yeah, seriously. I mean, really... Really terrible, really bad. Um, I'm glad I missed it. But the other thing is that it's this, it's this count your chickens before they hatch scenario where they've they've cast Johnny Depp to be the Invisible Man and they cast uh, like Javier Bardem Javier to Bardem be Frankenstein's monster, like all this stuff. What are you guys doing? Like, how did you think this was going to be successful enough, even just in concept, to to warrant get getting all these things in line to 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 just kind of put them out there i i, I, I me, don't understand to me it. that smacks of that was the the selling point they maybe thought if uh, oh yeah i know get all these stars you could get people like ooh, i'll stick around to see javier bardem be Frankenstein. well monster. i get that but it's like i said like this bottom three is just everything wrong with franchise filmmaking which i feel in in the year of our lord 2017 has just gone <laughs> so off the rails become so unwieldy and huge and cumbersome and ridiculous and these movies just have no idea what they're doing all right, the Mummy. In your opinion, the worst movie of the year. Yeah. In my opinion, the worst movie of 2017 is Ghost in the Shell. Okay. And um, with with the thought process of making my bottom of list, I've kind of alluded to already, it kind of goes by uh, I get a a batch of just movies I didn't like, and then I start weeding them out based on which ones had one or two things I did enjoy in them that yeah. I could uh, you know give it credit for. 
Yeah. Uh, so Ghost in the Shell, I can't remember a, a single thing I enjoyed about it. It's a, I, I guess you might call it a triumph of production design, but I don't even think the production design is all that interesting because it's very hollow and seemingly designed to blow your mind. But yeah. it is, uh, the problem with it is, and I'm no great expert on Ghost in the Shell. I did not see the original anime movie until like a week before this one came out. But I watched that. And you can see how that movie is taking like the Blade Runner aesthetic and infusing it with these ideas about the emergence of cyberspace and virtual reality. And it influences things uh, most famously like the Matrix and stuff. So the problem with um, the 2017 Ghost in the Shell is, uh, what is it now? It's like 20 years too late. It is, it's going back to these images and themes of a movie that has already influenced science fiction for the past two decades everything has been watered down through it so but i can't even imagine like giant fans of the original ghost in the shell liking this movie because it is like super hollywood it is like you know i i like scarlett johansson but the this like quote-unquote mind-blowing concept about the reasons for why they can get away with whitewashing that role from what was originally a oh, part yeah. for an Asian yeah, actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like w- why? Yeah. <laughs> like why wouldn't yeah. it be so much easier to just find a talented yes. Asian actress yeah. to play that is the role? that is just a baffling choice. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not gonna act like I'm so you know, I don't lose sleep about that. I'm not like that yeah. indignant. But like again, that that would not be that hard to do. Yeah. And instead, yeah, there's no cool action in it. I the the spider tank sequence is boring. And I don't think the words spider tank and boring should ever no, be in the same sentence together. Not. Yeah. So for me, like the I the tra- I didn't I didn't see this, but I've I've seen a lot of clips of it because it's kind of vaguely within my wheelhouse. But when the trailers came out, I thought I kind of was suckered, and I was like, "Wow, that's visually so amazing." But the thing is, is it's exactly what you said. It's stuff we've seen before, we've seen done better, and honestly, what a terrible year to try and rip off Blade Runner. Because oh, oh yeah, because uh, it got taken to school, you know, later this year. Sure, so, sure. Uh, yeah, ridiculous. I don't understand that. And speaking of these, you know, animes and stuff that that were super influential twenty years ago. What the heck is uh, James Cameron and uh, Robert Rodriguez doing with that Alita Battle Angel? Have you seen that? Um, I haven't heard anything about it in a while. I, you know, it looks like the same. We talked about what Cameron. are you doing, like. It's the same. Let's let's do an anime that has influenced everything for the past, like you said, two decades, and do it just in the weirdest, stupid way you can. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. Maybe it's a way to make this material approachable to people who are not into anime. Yeah, I'm not. Maybe. I'm I'm not like a giant fan. Like in terms of styles or genres, like mm-hmm. I'm not very well versed in anime, but I can at least appreciate it as a different art form that is very beautiful. Yeah. So I know there's people out there who just think it's weird and they put up a wall and say, no, I'm not going to watch that. So, you know, maybe this is a way to get the material over. Oh, it's got Scarlett Johansson and it's it's real life now. But I don't yeah. I don't think it really has any interesting ideas uh, going on at all. Certainly nothing that isn't better, if not in the original one, like at least in things like Inception and The Matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, we're as we get into our top 10 list, we're also going to talk about movies that have equally uh beautiful and obsessive production design mm-hmm. but that are infused with the character and how that makes all the difference because Absolutely. this is just look at this cool like puppet we actually made which is 
cool. I'll I'll take it over like CGIing everything a la The Hobbit. But yeah. you know you gotta you gotta you gotta make me care, and nothing about Ghost in the Shell makes me care. I've forgotten so much of it. Yeah. So bu- so buckle in, folks, because we're about to talk about some high cinema in a minute here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's our negativity. Let's get positive now. The top ten movies of 2017. All right, so let's get into our top 10 of the year. Uh, we're going to start at number 10 and work our way up to the top. So I went first with the bottom. Do you want to go first here? Yeah, I'll take the lead. So my number 10 favorite movie of 2017 is Colossal. Oh, really? So we're going to talk about this in a sec. All right, what's your number 10? <laughs> uh, my, number, my number 10, and look, listen, guys, I know I'm always defensive about number 10. Because it's always where I throw something that I really liked, but that everyone hates. It's, it is, no, that's why Colossal... Like, yeah. there's probably movies I liked better, but I refuse to let it off my sure. list. Yeah, no. So, so my number 10 is actually the, uh, the reboot of Power Rangers. All right, go for it. I missed this one. So, again, like, this is not high cinema, but as far as the Power Rangers reboot, this is, in, this is incredible. They went above and beyond everything that was ever required of them, and they pull out one of the best superhero origin movies I think I've ever seen. In that, in, that, in that way that Batman Begins spends like an hour with Bruce Wayne before he even starts becoming Batman, it's the same thing. Like a ton of time is spent with these characters uh, like becoming who, who they're supposed to be. Uh, but the problem is, and I, 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 hate, I hate talking about the top and immediately jumping into the problems, but I, it's, it's sort of a defensive thing. The, the problem is, is that uh, there is almost no time whatsoever spent with them as Power Rangers. Like it's like the last like in a in a movie titled yeah. Power Rangers. It's like the last like fifteen minutes maybe, which is really unfortunate. But that said, it, what it sets up and what it does is just it's it's incredible. It's fun. A lot of people dismiss it as just Breakfast Club with superpowers, mm. which it, it, it sort of is. But that's not re- that's not really a bad thing. Like for this type of movie, that's. It, I kinda, mean, people couldn't get enough of it when it was Spider Man. Yeah. It, yeah. I yes. So I, I don't really understand the complaints beyond if you, if you expected more kind of over-the-top karate and whatever. Like, there's not a lot of that. But as far as just like a, a really gritty, kind of like interesting, but not too gritty uh, superhero world that this sets up that's not connected to, you know, the MCU or something, this, this goes so above and beyond what was ever expected and what even I had hoped for. And I was someone who, I'm, I'm part of a demographic that's going to love this no matter what, but... Uh, this just this really surprised me. So this this is the light side image of uh, Transformers. Yeah, it, it kind of has that feel to me, having yes. seen neither of them. But mm-hmm. we have this very yeah nineties uh, oriented yeah franchise or yeah. Property. I think this is how you do it right, and I, it's a shame it hasn't done super great. I hear merchandise sale did pretty well, so I still might get a sequel. But this is the kind of thing that kind of again to compare it to Nolan's Batman trilogy. A lot of people I remember around like 2005, a lot of people did not like how very little Batman there is in that movie. But by the time you get to the Dark Knight, you're finally you're in Gotham. You've got Batman. You've got the Joker. It's all set up. And that's I just this this man. Not that anyone ever would be listening to this that's connected to that production, but make a sequel because like I think together this would be a really fun, almost like uh you know the first two Superman movies like from the Ooh. 70s. I think this would be just like a really fun uh take on on a franchise that is overall quite silly but it's earned its stay and i i I really enjoyed this yeah i heard a lot of people really did basically gave the same praise like it's not it's not amazing but uh kind of taken a by surprise how 
good it really was. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's got great performances too. We got Brian Cranston and uh it it was it was good. It was good. Ooh. I liked it. I I know that's that's kind of a bummer way to start this. It's sort of subdued, but it was it was really good. And I and I really do need, mean to have it here on 10 cuz there wasn't anything I liked more or let me put it this way there wasn't anything that i could complain less about <laughs> that, that that could have fit this spot so uh let's talk uh number nine we're probably gonna talk about number nine quite a bit right. uh my number nine is star wars the last jedi all right which i let's do it did not think would show up on your list let's do it no um <clears throat> i'm a big star wars fan yes i'll, th- I'll throw it out there i like i like star wars um, I, this is low. This is lower than I thought this movie would be before it came out because I went into The Last Jedi half with the expectation it was going to be my new favorite Star Wars movie ever. Yeah. Well, we both really liked and ranked the, the past two Disney Star Wars movies pretty high. Uh, Force Awakens was high. I, I had Rogue One lower and I kind of regret having Rogue One on my list oh, really? from last year now. I, right. I, I, I still like it, but yeah. I, I I like Last Jedi more than Rogue One. Let me okay, yeah. say that. But uh, and I'll I won't bear, I'll bury the lead. I probably at the end of the day probably prefer Force Awakens to the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I recognize that Force Awakens is a very safe movie, and the Last Jedi at times uh, goes out of its way to be an incredibly volatile and unsafe movie, and it has gotten a lot of backlash. Yep. And there's no accounting for which of these franchises I love. I'm going to be okay with them like t- completely overturning the tables and saying, like, screw you to everything you love. In another franchise where they do that, I might uh, be taken aback. I love the things that The Last Jedi has to say, particularly about the passing of the torch, that this is not the Skywalker saga anymore Mm -hmm. i think this has the best final shot of any star wars movie i know Mm -hmm. that's controversial a lot of people have made make a wish foundation jokes about it and stuff but i love it i can't disagree with that i I, I like what it says at the end i just just the the individual ways in which it it kind of gives fans the middle finger and maybe drops these supposedly big questions that episode seven brought up with uh, kind of a shrug of the shoulder some of those bug me. I'm not a big fan of how Captain Phasma is handled. That bothers me. But issues regarding Snoke and Ray's past, mm-hmm. I think those are great revelations. I think sure. they are perfect for the kind of for the way in which this new trilogy has to start to distance itself. Because we talked about this when yes. we talked Force Awakens, yep. that we we tentatively loved Force Awakens based on it not um, yeah, being on, on the same faith. movie through eight and nine. Yes, yeah. And, uh, you know, Last Jedi has gone very far yep. opposite. And that's honestly what I appreciate about it. I still love the new characters. I think the direction Last Jedi takes Rey and Kylo Ren. I love both of the places those two end up. Finn, I'm not a big fan of where Finn goes in this movie. And it's not just because I'm not a big proponent of monte carlo planet and that whole sequence it's, it's because kind of, you like horse racing in real life yeah <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, animal going, I'm going to the track after this and it yeah. makes me feel bad sure but no like t- to me finn doesn't his dilemma is basically the same one he has in force awakens it's yeah. still about do i run or do i and then at the very end all of a sudden it's about like do i sacrifice myself or not and it's like that that was a better dilemma for other characters yes. that were presented but um, even poe 
Poe has a great arc in this movie that you never would have expected based on what he does in Force Awakens. So it's it's not perfect. It's a little challenging, but I personally enjoy just the the 180 it takes and the steps it takes away from the comfort of what fans expect from this franchise. And a lot of people have issues with Luke being cynical and uh, browbeaten. I think that's amazing because I don't want to see Luke just being Yoda 2.0. I want I wanted that change. I wanted him to grapple with uh, the failure that he's faced. And uh, again, in terms of how we talked about Force Awakens being this magnificent final send off to Han Solo, I think Last Jedi does very well by Luke Skywalker. And and uh Princess Leia too. I know you know we lost Carrie Fisher and the whole movie mm-hmm. is is kind yep. of uh singed with that, but uh, she gets to deliver some great moments and I I cried a little in this movie. I won't be ashamed to admit it, but I know th- this was all me. I I just went on like a big string of talking because I'm on the defensive here because uh yeah. you you have gone on record that you don't think this is a very good movie. So I Take hate me this task movie. For a minute. I think this movie's trash. Uh, yeah. Now, see, see, for me, th- there's a lot of really loud complaints from fans out there that I really disagree with, and and you you brought up most of them. I don't, I don't think this is. I I like the revelation about Ray. I like the idea that anyone can use the Force. You don't have to be a Skywalker or a or a whatever. You know, I like, like you said, that last shot and what that really means. Like, I I love all that. I'm I'm okay with what they do to Snoke to to a certain extent. I think that's great. <laughs> but the thing is, is I this movie's just garbage. It's just such a sloppy, ridiculous mess from start to finish. I I think the writing is really uneven. I think this feels like it really could have used a few more drafts. I absolutely one hundred percent disagree with what you said about this being a good send off for Luke. Um, I, I I think at the end of the day, and you know this, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. You I I'm you a were huge, in the act of coming around yeah. with Force Awakens and Rogue One, and now I feel this maybe has like I'm a huge, set your journey back. I'm a huge dabbler in Star Wars, but I'm not <laughs> you know I'm not a diehard myself. But the thing is, is that, and I and I I I probably should have been louder about this when Force Awakens came out. But as as great as Han is in Force Awakens, I I don't like how he dies, and I don't like what they do to mm-hmm. him because. It, it and I think I said this, but again, maybe not as front and center as I, I would have liked to in hindsight, that it really bums me out that after Return of the Jedi, none of these characters have anything good happen to them. Like, it just seems like it just goes completely all to heck. And, mm-hmm. you know, you see, oh, Han and Leia didn't end up together, and their kid is a lunatic, and Luke is a depressed idiot, and it, it really idiot. bums me out. And, and, Again, it's one of these things where it's like, look, I know that's the point. I know that's what it's saying about your heroes and, and about dealing with failure and all this. I, I get that. I just, I think it's really ridiculous. And I think this movie really backs out of almost everything that Return of the Jedi does for for that original trilogy as far as like wrapping it up. Because basically the status quo is 100% returned back to what it was before, except maybe even worse. It doesn't feel like any sacrifice that anybody made was worth anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I don't like that at all. And that's just the beginning. I'm not a fan of the tone. I'm not one of those people who's going to freak out that there's jokes. Like, I know Star Wars has always had humor, but, like, I don't think that they were good jokes. I don't think that they felt tonally a part of this world. I, I, I just... it just Interesting. 
for, like, just for example, I like, mean, we had the Max Rebo band. Yeah, that's true. No, but what I'm saying is, is like, it opens with this scene, you know, Poe goes up alone in an X-Wing in front of all these Star Destroyers and, and is calling them on the phone, basically prank calling them to distract them. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't they just shoot him? It, it, that that it's just this kind of stuff that's just like this whole situation was set up to just be a lazy stupid joke and i i don't well i, I like it for one because i i think it's a great mirror of the the first joke in force awakens who talks first you talk first i talk first like that's that's poe as we know him but i also i like that not just that moment but um really the entire quite silly um dramatic conflict about the first order just following these ships until they run yeah. out of gas is very in tune to the hubris that the first order has. And I think it extends to a lot of uh, different elements of the movie, including Snoke's demise. Yeah, no, and you, I, I, I don't blame people for thinking all of that stuff is stupid and doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the same time, I mean, this is a franchise about space wizards that we've gone along well, with for a long that, time. That's what I mean when I say, I wish that they had just gone through some more drafts or something. Cause I like what it's saying for the most part. It's just the way that they do it. Like I said, like you, you the, the who talks first, I talk first, you talk first. I don't think Poe is stalling for time or thinks that he's really going to get out of that situation. Like he could be he, killed he's right just there. Bugs bunnying it. But this whole plan is based on that they're not going to shoot him when he goes up there and mouths off to them. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And that's how the whole movie is. It's just these constantly contrived, ridiculous situations that kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. And I just, I, I think it's just a really lazy, it feels rushed and I just don't understand it. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I'm not, I am not uh, mincing my words. I hate this movie. Sure. <laughs> like, And I respect the opinion. I, I really do want, I don't want to drag this on, but this is probably like the one on the list that garners the most interest. It's been one of the most divisive movies of the year. You, you called Luke uh, a bumbling idiot. I'd like to hear very quickly your, your nitpicks with how the movie does handle Luke because I am a big fan. Of it. Um, it's, it's the same thing. Like I'm a, I'm a fan of what it's saying. I just, to, to see this guy that's been a hero in, in their world and in ours for decades and to see what, all of his heroic actions led to is just him being alone and losing basically his family. Mm-hmm. It It is just a real letdown. And to see what he's decided to do in the face of that is just like, what I, again, like it's one of these things I, I like that it has the guts to do this to a hero. I'm not sure that this was the hero to do it with. Sure. I think for me, the reasons this works is because I feel that this is an extension of a central conflict between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi that a lot of people have. I think even you said this on Force Awakens, um, which the whole conceit is that Luke has fled following his failure, that you didn't, it didn't make sense to you for the guy who said, I have to go to to Bespin to save my friends. Um, Like, it doesn't make sense for that guy to run away. But the through line between that scene in Empire and um, when Luke comes back to see Yoda in Return of the Jedi is that that was the wrong move. That yeah. if he had had the, the discipline to be introspective and wait it out and honor the sacrifice his friends were making, things would not have been as bad as they were. So I think Luke takes that lesson to heart. And, and honestly, Jedi is kind of a, a difficult movie for me to watch sometimes because of how cocky luke really is yeah I, like I that, movie, that movie opens with him just like walking into java's palace in black and just being a badass 
And it's just a weird jump to make from like the last time we saw him in Empire when he just got the crap kicked out of him. So I like that, you know, that cocky jerk who, you know, saved his father and defeated the emperor got taken down a peg. I don't want him to be that sure of himself for the next, for the rest of his life. Um, I don't think it's good dramatic conflict. So I like him in this Obi-Wan Yoda-esque isolation. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I'll admit being a bit of a sad sack. I, I like his speech about the legacy of the Jedi being a history of failure. But I, I like the introspectiveness. I don't, I don't want Return of the Jedi Luke to just no, be like, and I and I agree. But baskets. I agree, but it just himself. feels to me that whatever he did accomplish is just kind of gone back on. Sure. I mean, that's that's my biggest problem. Is that I mean, even and I say this like even if I don't care about Star Wars that much, but even I have been waiting to see what has become of Luke Skywalker. Like it's just it's a huge letdown, and it just kind of makes me think. I'm not sure that this era of Star Wars is handling of any of the original characters is what it should have been. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was the right choice. I mean, we're here now and we're making sure. do, but it, at the end of the day, this, this movie just kind of made me go like, eh, maybe my original kind of assessment of Star Wars that it's, it's pop culture, but it's not that great. It kind of was right. Like mm-hmm. it just, it just kind of made me really back out of it. And I don't know. I did. I really, really hated this. This, this any other year, I'm pretty sure this would have been on my bottom three. I was kind of surprised it wasn't down in the three slot to to stick it to me. But but there's there's so it's, you know there's moments that are are redeemable and and I can respect people who liked it. I and, just and I very much respect people yeah. who. Uh, I think I think that's an interesting thing about this movie is that I'm genuinely finding a lot of people on opposite sides kind of feeling that way. Like I, I get it, but but no. Yeah. That's that's also what I kind of like about it. Yeah, yeah, I like that it's not a movie that everyone just has to love. To me, it makes it a more interesting, yeah. more interesting flick. I I suppose, I can see that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's lower on my list. I I have enough enough beef with it. I certainly respect people who would take those and say it's a bad movie. But at the end of the day, like you're saying, the the things that it says, um, the handling of the new characters for the most part, uh, I'm still super on board with the uh, the extension of episode saga and uh we'll see what jj does with episode nine it's it sounds like a bunch of people uh want him to kind of get back on track to where force awakens was and i am nervous he's just gonna try to wash all of last jedi stuff under the rug a la x-men 3 oh yeah so we'll see what happens we'll see Uh, that was thank you for that discussion (laughs) how about your number nine my uh, so my number nine is colossal so since since you already mentioned it do you want to kind of open up this discussion too yeah you, you might have uh a lot to say because uh the last episode you were on was uh a not 1001 show to talking about giant kaiju movies with yep. godzilla and them so this is your wheelhouse like i said i i really just wanted colossal on my list because i was so surprised how much i liked it when the trailer dropped it seemed to me like almost too high concept it's a movie about a woman played by anne hathaway who is an alcoholic who's thrown out by her boyfriend she goes back to her hometown to get it together and uh, in the meantime there's this giant monster that shows up in seoul yeah. and starts terrorizing people and she eventually learns she basically controls it so when you look at that trailer you to me it seemed like oh that could be fun like the metaphor seems to stretch a little but, you know it could be like different yeah. enough that you still want to champion it as like an indie film 
when I watched it, I still think maybe the bridge between, you know, the metaphor and everything is, is maybe a little clunky, but I was so surprised how well this movie handled not only the commentary on substance abuse, but its thoughts on domestic violence and codependence and what it is yep. about people in those relationships that makes them feel stuck in it, like why they don't leave. I thought it was very introspective in that way, and it really blew me away how well acted the two leads are. Um, Anne Hathaway is really good in the in the lead performance, but Sude- Jason Sudeikis, who I've always enjoyed, I never would have expected a performance this good out of him, especially considering what he is asked to do in the yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. Um, he, yeah. He plays I, a character that I did not expect him to play at all mm-hmm. when he showed up on screen. It, it is, it's quite the... The revelation and uh yeah this movie has some twists that i thought were just great so all these like little nitpicks i might have that some of the the budgetary constraints and the way it links like the drama between basically four people in a small new england town to this like giant cgi colossal monster like some of the ways it bridges those are a little uh, too clever by half but i'll give it mad respect for not only having the ambition to do that but for making it work on a bunch of those different levels that I mentioned. Yeah. So, I mean, you basically said everything that I have to say about it, but uh, just to add, like, the introspectiveness, not just on uh, Anne Hathaway's part, but also on uh, Jason's behalf. Like, I thought thought the way that they delve into what leads him to do the things that he's going to do was, like, uncomfortably, like, true. Like... Mm -hmm. And fascinating. Yeah. It's like that weird voyeurism angle um that you just can't look away i mean well i mean maybe this is the point of the movie but like the way that it kind of humanizes monstrous behavior mm-hmm. I, like that i'm no i you know i'm nowhere near these people and what their life is like but i like see strands that are very much me in them mm-hmm. and i'm like oh holy crap uh, yeah it, it, in that you control a giant monster that's uh rolling through johannesburg as we speak yeah and I'm an alcoholic. It's just it's just sitting on a building, leaning forward into an imaginary microphone. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I thought it was really clever. I agree. I think that the concept sort of uh, out is beyond the reach of what this production is fully able to do. But it is, yeah, man, it is so good. And the other thing is, the trailer kind of made it look like a really funny movie, mm-hmm. and it's like it's not. No, although there are parts that uh, you know had me rolling. But yeah. I, it's a hard movie for me to talk about because it is such a kind of unwieldy mess in a way, but it's not a bad mess. It, it, I think, I think it is exactly kind, not exactly, but really close to what they wanted it to be. Oh sure. And I, it, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a solid little movie that I don't, I don't think it got anywhere near the attention that it really deserved. No, it didn't, and we, we'd highly recommend it because I, yeah. I, it took me a while to see it because I did come up against that fence where I didn't really want to give it a shot i'm so glad i did yeah and uh one last thing for me the the climax of the movie is one of the most like cheer worthy moments oh, yeah. of any movie i saw this year it is so cool yeah it is it is and uh, i guess i guess that's kind of how i'll close it out it, it, it's it's a surprisingly investing movie yeah because i went to it because as giant monsters i you know i'm as a giant monster fan almost every time you see a giant monster movie you kind of have to expect that it will probably be bad or that it really likely could be yeah and going in with that attitude and just being sucked in 110 percent along for this ride was is is not only surprising but it's something to be to be completely commended like it was a it was a great film everyone in my theater seemed to really like it it's one of the few movies from this year that i've actually bought already so 
that's a good one. Yeah, so we highly recommend everybody uh, give it a shot. It's well worth your time. All right, let's do the next number. Number eight. All right, um, my number eight is Coco. Okay. Not on your list? It's not on my list. All right. It was very close. It's a uh, good movie. It's fu- it's funny. I, I maybe have like the least to say about this as any movie on my list because I feel like all the things I like about it are just the things that like get tacked up on like the TV spot. Like, I think it's the best animated movie of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's heartwarming fun for the whole family. Like, I, I sincerely believe all those things and it's kind of the extent of my critical approach to it sure. so far. I guess I'm just... You know, we're big Pixar fans. We're we're Disney acolytes and yeah. Pixar's they've been up and down and Cars 3, which I forgot had come out this year. It was fine. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I listen, I liked it. I don't. Okay. All right. But um, you know, Coco I don't think comes near the heights Pixar's reached. I I even probably uh, like it more than I like Inside Out. More I'm still a gigantic fan of Inside Out. But um Coco nails what what is kind of like in the the ether known as the Pixar moment that that one perfect moment that hits hits the feels but is also this beautiful crescendo of storytelling and I just really like all the things it has to say about why it's important that we are remembered mm-hmm. after we're gone I I like what it has to say about our legacies and uh, how that ties into our family and our friends and stuff it's also a gorgeous movie um we we keep talking about this every time a Pixar movie shows up on our list that they just keep up in their game every year and it's amazing not only in the landscapes which are you know the land of the dead yeah. is one of the coolest environments in any movie I've seen this year but the the one for me is um the title character it's Coco at the end we get these very huge close-ups of her face and she's yeah. an old woman yeah. and it's so odd that it it dabbles close to this sort of photorealism while maintaining the animated feel, but it doesn't dip into the uncanny. It's still, yeah, it's still getting that it's, it's, emotion in the artistic. Yeah. It's uncanny, but not in the way that we use that word. Like it is. It, yeah. Even you, you mentioned the, the, uh, like the landscapes. It's, it's amazing. They just go on and on. Like yeah, there's so much like depth. Thousands of elements. Yeah. to A single shot in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I loved, I loved this movie. Uh, I, not I, as I, much as Power Rangers. No, not as much. <laughs> because, well, here's the thing with Pixar. I think we've kind of entered this era where Pixar is either making things that aren't that great, or they're making things that are like really good, but they're not. They don't have that like kind of classic feel because they're not as simplistic. I, I hate calling like original Toy Story simplistic or something. But no, like, but I see what you mean. Like, yeah. I don't think there's going to be a Pixar movie that we're ever going to feel is as good as like their prime run with. Uh, mm. Finding Nemo and Incredibles yeah. and Wally and all those like, and I think yeah. that's because uh, you know those are those are in the canon now and we're pretty harsh on movies that aren't. Yeah, so so I, so th- that's why this movie kind of falls into a weird place for me where it it doesn't feel like classic good old Pixar, but it it it's so smart. Like I, I think the stuff that what you said, the stuff it has to say about kind of remembrance and how a lack of remembrance sort of leads to like almost a second death. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Movie. Yeah, it, it's a movie that I I don't I don't have super high praise for because it it's sort of hard to wrestle with. But when the more you, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing on a technical level, obviously, mm-hmm. but on a story level, for me, this reaches the heights of Inside Out. Sure, uh, 
I, I know a lot of people would agree. It's yeah. it's kind of been up and up. And I when when Pixar's on, like when they're doing a, a really good movie, I don't think anybody plots a movie better than them. I really love the way they set up rules for the worlds of their films and stay true to them and keep it simplistic, but also very interesting that ties into those those themes they're going for about remembrance and legacy and family. And um another praise I would give it is I think it's a good musical. Which is odd because okay, it, there's sure. probably not like more than three or four songs in it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I I like them all. They're very fun and they feed the story. And I mean, as a side note, those four songs in Coco are better than I swear the six or seven that were crammed into the twenty minute Frozen short that was oh, played in front yes, of it. Yes, that's um, that's for sure. So it's yeah, it's fun for the whole family. Yeah. I really no like those those songs. I you, it's interesting that you mentioned those because I've I've heard a lot of kind of criticism online that they don't translate very well into English and that they're far better in in Spanish, which is is not a real criticism. Like that's no. good, good on it. Yeah, but I was gonna say it's, it's about that culture. That's the other thing about it too. Um, we're facing a lot of issues this year about representations of mm-hmm. of other countries and ethnicities, and I I felt. Coco did a very good job of that. Yeah, it's and I, we- I say that as a, a white guy. I mean, I'm sure. Well, I I felt that way too. There's a lot of weird, almost stereotypical visual shorthand at play in this movie, but it was all like good. There was like depth to it. It wasn't just yeah. like stereotyping. But what I was going to say about the music is that probably for the first time since I guess Frozen, let with Let It Go, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard kids singing these songs like in the in the store, yeah, yeah. like when I'm out shopping, and uh, yeah, it it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's my number eight. I love right. it. Uh, and then let's get to my number eight. My number eight is uh, it's Dunkirk. Not on my list. Honorable right. mention. Uh, so Dunkirk is the latest from Christopher Nolan, who I really love, although I hate saying that because I feel like he's pr- quite overrated, but I love him a lot still. This movie is a, is a weird one for me because when I saw it in the theater, I was certain that this is a movie that cannot hold up. I saw it in the IMAX and it was just like the most jarring thing I've ever watched. Like in, in the best way possible. I was on edge the whole time and it was just, this, it was just fascinating. But when it ended, I said, I, I, I recommended that everybody go see it in an IMAX because you're, you're going to regret seeing it like at, at home. Like yeah, it, will, he, it, will, it will not be the same experience. He makes them like specifically. So that's the experience. It's yeah. not just like a movie that could be cooler because it's on a bigger screen. Like he shoots it. Yeah, so it looks better. And so, so I was a little bit dismissive of it, but the, the the truth is, is that the more that time has gone on, the the like stronger the impression it's made on me. Like it, it it's like it's put a seed in me that has grown since I saw it. Yeah, I think it's an incredible movie. I I think there's a lot of criticism going around that it uh it's for, focused more on the event than the characters, and that's that's a constant complaint that people have about Nolan that he doesn't get you really like invested into the characters a ton but i i mean i i disagree like if you can't get invested in wanting to see people not be killed like yeah i i you should examine <laughs> yourself uh and your ethics but I, I i thought it was heart pounding and and the other thing i know i'm just kind of rambling here but the other thing is that when that movie ended i swore it was the longest nolan movie i'd ever seen i was like that has to be Me like too. three and a half hours long that's that's it, like not in a bad way, but just like wow, that, that was forever. It's like his shortest by a lot, mm-hmm. like by a lot, which a is lot. which is really saying something about how expertly and quickly and efficiently he ramps up the tension and tells this story, 
because it really is. It's like right from the off. I, I was in, I was there on that beach with those guys and wanting to get out just as much as they did. And again, in a good way. This is not, it's an uncomfortable movie because of the violence and, and, and tension, but it's, it's not like a grotesque movie. It's not something I want to leave. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, 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 I liked it a lot. I, it's kind of funny. The thing that uh, keeps it off my list is I liked it, but it, that impression has not stayed with me. I found it kind of maybe the, the most dismissive of his movies in a while, which is interesting because I think it's better than Interstellar, but like what bothered me about Interstellar kept it like, yeah. relevant to me. Sure. Like I had, I had to like tell people what I didn't like about it. So sure, this yeah. one, it was like, I thought it was fine. Conversation's over. I very much appreciate though, that he finally made a movie that he did not feel obliged to blow your mind with. Yes, yes. And I, I've been in fights, you know, another, another uh, bump I've come up against with Dunkirk is I've gotten to a lot of fights with people about its status in the hall of great war, war movies. movies. Yeah, sure. Um, because I think uh, some mis- there's some readings of it that I think are misreads. I think uh, there, there's obviously a lot made in Dunkirk about it's not a movie about victory. It's a movie about survival. Yeah. And uh, I agree with that for the most part, but some people had gone on to be like, it, you know, doesn't glamorize heroics at all. It's just about like getting by. And I say, there's an entire third of the movie in which Tom Hardy is freaking awesome. And that's true. Uh, he can shoot down planes when he doesn't even have any gas. Yeah, that's true. It's that's a nitpick though. I, I, I like that. He just kind of went for this. It's not really a smaller movie. I mean, it's it's certainly on the scale as much as anything he has done, but um, to make something a little more personable that's not this, it's almost not this epic, because like you said, each of these segments just has their character that we gravitate towards, and it all comes together. And that's the other thing. The editing is put together in such a way, again, that he's maybe trying to blow your mind, but to me, it's not super flashy. I found it quite easy to follow, mm-hmm. with the exception of like one little section in the middle that I had to catch up to, but um, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. I, I want to go back to see it. Cause I feel kind of like you that if I, if I saw it again, if it wasn't just like my memory of it and, you know, being super tired that night that maybe like something would imprint on me that, wow, this really was quite the undertaking to yeah, me. So, so it sounds like I'm kind of having the re- reverse experience where like interstellar is this, is kind of the same thing where like, I liked that movie, but there's so much that I don't like about it. Mm. And this one, it's like I left the theater thinking that I felt that way about this one. But as time has gone on, the more I'm like, I don't have any any problems with this. I think this is a great war movie. Yeah, um, I do too. I I, I like, really do think it's one of the best. Like, like all my beasts with it, like I don't even feel like improve it that much. Like I I personally for a while felt like it's missing a fourth segment with um like the front because yeah. i, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. you know for for all of it being about like survival and the enemy approaching outside of like that opening sequence i don't really feel it like yeah. it i i feel super shallow and crappy saying this but to me like there's a lot of segments in that movie where it felt like it was just a bunch of dudes like hanging out on the beach for no reason <laughs> okay. like knowing full well like their lives are certainly in jeopardy and like yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry that's how i felt i haven't seen it in a while again i i might come around i really liked that it was it was close to making my list another thing i mean you might in particular take umbrage with this i don't know but um for me i i think about like those scenes in like saving private ryan that show the brutality of war sure and how how for a long time and, and maybe even still those are kind of hold the benchmark for showing that sort of thing 
But for me, there's still something so like Hollywood and special effects ish about those that I, I feel like a, a dissonance when I watch that that I do not feel with this movie. When I see them lined up in this movie, like on that pier and they're getting out of there, it just like wrecks my mind thinking like this is how war is and this is a thing that actually happened that that I don't usually get from other movies that focus on the violence. Sure. Do, does, does, does that no, make sense? I, I'm, I'm a big Private Ryan fan. To me, it works because of the cinematography choices that movie makes. But mm-hmm. I, I for sure know what you mean with things like um, Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just pointing that out as just an example that I think a lot of people have seen. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. no, I'm totally with you. I, and again, like maybe that not showing that violence is a refreshing thing from Dunkirk because I feel that since Private Ryan, that level of brutality has been like the standard for war movies. And uh, I think this, like you said, this shows that uh, with enough command of filmmaking craft, you can get the emotion of that brutality across without having to show the brutality and kind of at this point, almost becoming cliche, which is, which is sad, but yeah, that's the case. So, and then just a final thought also the cinematography in this i absolutely love really not good. not only just because he used these imax cameras which nolan has been far and away the best at using in my opinion um but i mean i i, I saw some behind the scenes footage of this and it's just it's crazy he's out there just in a like in a little floaty out in the ocean like <laughs> doing these things like so much of this is real you know you I, you watch it and it, and it almost is uncanny because you're like what what am i looking at because we're not used to seeing like real planes over the real ocean that that often mm-hmm. and ah uh, it i mean it's 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 incredible and again it's it's a shame that we can't just have this forever like on hold to go see in the imax some afternoon when you sure. want uh but uh the the more it's stuck with me the more i'm like look i i, I do think it's 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 worth seeing on however you can like because it i, I think it's a, an affective movie mm-hmm. so it, it's very good and certainly a better movie about this time than darkest hour in oh, which really? i didn't get to it wins an oscar and yeah that's about it yeah so our number seven movie what was your number seven the reason we're doing this show so late because we live in utah and we get limited release month after everybody and i refuse to make my list every year until i get to at least one of them uh it's from my guy Steven Spielberg's The Post. Okay, tell me about it. I didn't get to it. Uh, another one of these movies that I like Last Jedi, like Colossal, um, kind of like Coco, I, I could almost have like as many nitpicks with as things I love, but what I love sticks with me so much more. It's, it is coming under fire, and rightfully so, for being very Capra-esque. It almost to a fault champions the the press as the force for good in the universe that never makes uh, a bad decision. And um, sometimes I think it works in the movie and sometimes I think it could do with a, a bit more nuance, but this is, this is like the capper to this loose American values trilogy that Spielberg's had this decade. He started it with Lincoln. He went through with bridge of spies and the post uh, is finishing it off. And I've loved all three of those movies. All three of those movies have made my top 10 list. This this is the weakest of the three to me because of the kind of that simplicity in the face of modern dilemmas we have about uh, if the press should be suppressed. And it's kind of weird because the the press as idolized in the post, I don't feel is anywhere near the same institution it is now. 
Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of weird that this is made in response to current events because like this is this takes place in the very early 70s and I don't even think like newsrooms are anywhere near the same anymore. Maybe they are. I don't work I don't work in journalism. So I I guess those are those are like nitpicks. So like come into this knowing like I love Spielberg but I'm not so much of an apologist that I'm going to totally overlook some of these things that he maybe glosses over but with with these three movies in this loose trilogy, I've always been amazed at how well Spielberg rushes along the mundane uh, machinations of society and makes them interesting. So with Lincoln, it's um, passing legislation. Uh, you know, Bridge of Spies is maybe talking about judicial system a little bit. So you know, this is this is a very like boots on the ground in the newsroom kind of movie because it's following this group of journalists that debated on publishing these classified documents proving that for i think half a dozen presidential administrations they'd been lying about success in vietnam in order to keep the war going it's it's really smart i think that's that's one reason the movie works is because it does move so fast and counts on you to remember names and keep up and like when you can do it well enough you feel super smart and maybe that's a little placating but i like the way it moves i like the moments that it focuses on it makes you feel intrepid like you're in the room it makes you proud to to adhere to the american values that you do have and uh really good performances um i think spielberg doesn't get enough credit as an actor's director and i think it definitely shows in this not only in the two lead performances from meryl streep and tom hanks but even the supporting cast we have guys like david cross and bob odenkirk uh really doing tremendous work in roles that don't require them to do a whole lot it's also a little odd that it chooses to make Meryl Streep its protagonist. It's kind of debatable because it's almost equally Tom Hanks' story. Meryl Streep kind of disappears for a lot of it while, you know, Hanks and his guys are getting the scoop and working things out. But so I, I worried for a little while that Meryl Streep, who I love, was being incredibly underutilized because she's very timid and she she kind of just fits into this mold of the woman in a man's world and she's very you know, the entire first half of the movie, all these shots are blocked out to show her on the outskirts, blocked out by the men. And I, I didn't feel for the first half of the movie, that it was making a good case to show that wasn't rightfully her place. There's a turn in, in the movie where she finally does get to find her voice and make her stand. And it's awesome. It's so good. So I, it's corny. It, uh, it is a little easy. I, I can see, um, people with a lot more knowledge about journalism and political landscape being able to very easily shred it apart. But the, the emotional truths about it on, um, you know, how far is too far? Like what, yeah. you know, what, what information do we lay out in interest of the public good and what do we withhold for the same? I think it's a challenging enough movie that is really effortlessly watchable. I'd go see this again tomorrow in a heartbeat. And uh, it just doesn't hurt that, Spielberg made it and he's my guy. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean I didn't I didn't see this so I don't have much to say, but I when it was announced that this is what he was doing, I thought, you know, a, a newsroom kind of drama or whatever. That that sounds just right up his alley because Oh of, sure. You know, even even in his big movies, you know, Jaws or ET, like the way that he invests you in just everyday life in a room with a bunch of kids or whatever is is perfect. Even, you know, Jurassic Park, those the the scenes with uh in in Nedry's little work area and and just kind of the the work dialogue mm -hmm. and and back and forth like it just sounds like that's, perfect that's but, what he's the best at yeah, he can yeah. find those little moments so yeah. i thought it was great there you go 
What's your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Get Out. Which will show up later on my list. There you go. So, should we move along? Move on to number six, yeah. All right. What's your number six? <laughs> my number six is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing's, oh, Missouri. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I always want to call it Three Billboards Outside Billings, Montana. So, it's just going to be Three Billboards. All right. If you knew exactly how you felt about Three Billboards the moment it was over, I would love to shake your hand because I have been wrestling with this movie for, I think it's a month old now. Mm -hmm. I got got to it on opening night. It is a challenging film. Um, So Martin McDonough, I'm a big fan. I, I love In Bruges. I like Seven Psychopaths. So I'm a fan of him and his kind of theatrical approach. Um, focusing on like a couple characters and just giving them, you know, really stylized dialogue, like nice speeches. It's very, it's very stagey, but I think he does it very, very well. And he delivers all that here in a story that I ultimately find to be about how we tackle grief. And I, if, if the post is an interesting movie that is, can maybe be faulted for not seeing different sides of the issue i think three billboards very much acknowledges all the different uh, approaches to the grieving process and um, it has other things to say about racial tensions in the country and things like that but i'll tell you the the moment that sells this movie for me we we have sam rockwell who's a very problematic character really hard to get on his side because he does some despicable things. He he hurts some people very, very badly. There, I can't really spoil it. It ruins everything. So I'm going to be super vague. But if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I talk about. There is a scene in the middle with a cup of orange juice that was maybe one of, it could have been the most emotional scene I'd seen in a movie this year. I thought what that scene said about how we deal with tragedy and forgiveness was so beautiful and great that any other hitch I have with the movie's logic and this weird obsession that Martin McDonough has with making jokes about little people, um, all that stuff really <laughs> kind of melts away because I think it's hard is in the right place. And there's, there's tons of other moments that are just as, as good as that. There's a, a letter that Woody Harrelson writes. There's basically any scene Francis McDormand has with him and with Sam Rockwell. Uh, it's an incredibly well-acted movie that I just loved. Did you, you didn't get around to seeing no, it. No, I, I didn't, so I don't have much to add here, unfortunately. Well, but. it's okay to be sad. Okay, Just thanks. try not to be angry. <laughs> well, there you go. It's kind of, kind of the message, but yeah, it's maybe the extent, because um, like I said, it's, it's a difficult movie to grapple with, especially just uh, my memory of it. I think I'd be a lot more cohesive if I had seen it again, but I think it's, it's well worth everybody's time and... Uh, a super good movie from a really talented I mean, you, filmmaker. So you said that it's a, you know, you've wrestled with it a lot, but do you find it accessible or do you find, I mean, is this something that anybody could, could walk into? Oh, you know, everybody likes oh, different yeah. things. Yeah, I, yeah. I think for people who maybe don't mind um, talking movies, hmm. I mean, this is very, if, if you're like a Tarantino fan or if you even like something like The Post, like basically if you are not reliant on action set pieces to pull you through a film, I think it's well worth your time because it takes place in a small in small town America, so I think it's incredibly accessible there. It's it's about like working class people, so I think there's a lot of audience surrogates in it um, that I don't think like its grand messages can maybe get like 
I don't know, it sounds so pretentious to say this, but I don't think it's like too overambitious for the common folk. I think I think it, it really is a relatable movie and definitely speaks to some problems we've been dealing with lately. Well, there you go. What do you got for number six? My number six is War for the Planet of the Apes. Nice, did not make my list. Oh, well, there you go. That surprises me. You liked it a lot, as I recall. <sighs> yeah, but like Dunkirk, it just faded from memory mm. like i had a really good week of like wow a blockbuster movie that asked this question and talked about yeah. this and then when that week was over i was like mm, yeah okay i i had some beefs with this i'm still uh i think dawn is the the crowning jewel in this new trilogy but all I three disagree. movies are quite good sorry what i disagree with that okay well tell me about it uh well so <clears throat> you you mentioned this when we were doing the bottom list that i i, I like things to, we, we like things to kind of have a cap to kind of have an end mm-hmm. um and you know if you, if you listen to fox who knows what's going on over there currently but uh they they claim that that wasn't the end but it wraps up a lot that in a very very satisfying way that that uh this this trilogy has kind of uh set forth first of all this is just like one of the best reboots of a franchise no ever. doubt no like, doubt like ever um and and you, i think a lot of focus has been put on um uh, Andy Serkis as as Caesar, and he's great. But I I have to say that he is not the only thing carrying this at all. Absolutely not. These are really well written. They're really well directed. They're well acted across the board, even by actors that I don't really like usually, particularly in the uh, second one. A lot of the human characters are actors I'm not a huge fan of, but I think they do great. Um, but anyway, th- this film in particular, it, 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 this is one that I wrestled with for a while because it is. In many ways, I found an unsatisfying ending, though thematically very satisfying. Yeah, I am in the exact same uh, boat. It's called War. It was marketed a certain way, and it is not yeah. everything you, that comes to your mind when you think of war. It's pretty much not in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's honestly like my nitpick with it. And I know it's super petty, but the taste we get in the very opening sequence with that battle seems to promise it's going to deliver. And you're like, this is going to be the best of the trilogy. And then that's uh, that's kind of all you get. Yeah. So, um, and and maybe this also has parallels to kind of what you were talking about with Star Wars and sort of what I was saying about Star Wars. If I don't appreciate how Luke kind of turned out as an old man, I really appreciate pretty much the exact same treatment being given to Caesar here that that he, not the exact same, but because he's still a leader, but he's a leader who's made some huge mistakes that are really haunting him that he is not able to let go of. And it causes him to make, uh, more mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, to me, this is the movie that really hit me the most along uh, th- throughout the year about about heroes kind of aging and dealing with the fallout of their actions. Interesting. Perhaps because, again, I, I kind of feel like this is the place to do it. Maybe not with a superhero, maybe not with something as plucky and hopeful as Star Wars, but with Planet of the Apes, I feel like, like it really works to, to see a Caesar who is, on one hand, a, a messiah for his people. And on the other hand, he's still a, a real guy with real problems that we that we all deal with and, and, and kind of wrestling with that. Do you have anything? I mean No, you you've like said all that stuff like way more beautifully uh than I could. I I'd I'd probably second everything. This is this is one that kind of comes came close to my list because I really did enjoy it. And this is the kind of movie again that if we're gonna have stuff like Transformers and The Mummy coming out in the summer, like how great that this is a major blockbuster that people have flocked to and like this story that's science fiction, but super full of humanity. So yeah, I like I, I maybe just don't have as much to say because you, you really said it all. 
but uh yeah i like it's it's a nice capper i still like that it is ethically challenging i mm-hmm. fixated a lot on a the death of the main bad guy i kind of grappled with um what that entailed in terms of caesar's own morality and things i yeah. thought that was like super cool to get that in you know this movie about a war with sentient apes sure um yeah i i'm i'm a little let down that it's this this also sounds super hypocritical i'm let down it wasn't like this full scale war epic like you would see in like transformers where there's just like craziness going on all the time like this franchise has like for sure been more rooted in quiet dialogue scenes about ethics and morality and um you know how we what do we recognize as intelligence in the world and i love how dawn does that but to me dawn sets out to do that where war uh seems a little more bungled together to my liking because i'm not like a huge fan of the big epic showdown with all the helicopters and stuff because it seems over in a flash and it's really more about mm-hmm. you know what caesar does in the in the back room with the general uh but no i thought it, i thought it was super good i will give it like mad props for being a movie that's on that level and still a major like money-making blockbuster like i'll for sure take this over I, other other stuff i'm not gonna name names i'm not gonna get people mad at me but. <laughs> yeah well and the, the other thing i like is that this is this is a reboot that has a lot particularly in this film a lot of callbacks to the original films there's a lot of of little references but um with this film in particular i don't feel like it ever not not never but for the most part never uh uses those references or callbacks just it doesn't just throw them out like emptily just to please people who might know what those things are. It always brings something really interesting to the table. Maybe even, even if it's just for a quick moment, it brings these things up and, and has things to say about them. Um, I thought that was particularly the case with the, the new ape character that they come across. I forgot Steve Zahn. Yeah. I love Steve Zahn. Yeah. I'm not crazy about this character. But I love, I, I, this is the I, kind of character that on paper I would absolutely hate. And if I would, was reading this, I'd be like, take, take this out. This is going to ruin your movie. Mm-hmm. I found him totally I'll, endearing. I'll, I'll qualify. I love his, like the first half of Bad Ape. I think this idea of, cause, cause in this part of the franchise, we're very familiar with this small, like splinter group that's been with Caesar. Bad Ape's the first a hint that we get that this happens worldwide and that other groups don't have somebody a like a Caesar to yeah. lead them and help them make sense of it. So I really like all that stuff uh, in the hotel and stuff. It's just like after that, his job basically seems to be to just say, no, 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 don't do that yeah. and make people laugh. Well, and then that's what I mean by like, you know, maybe it doesn't, it doesn't incorporate all of these ideas 100% because it's really committed to showing us sort of the bleak storyline that Caesar's going on. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to commit to that and also have kind of, I guess, fan service moments, I, I, this movie does it in all of the right ways sure. uh, for me. And oh, and that's that, that's maybe kind of is my final point. We already sort of touched on this, but what it, as, as flawed as Caesar is here, even though he does great things for his people, we see his flaws really up close. But Bad Ape, to me, what I really like about him is that, is that he shows that, that, that Caesar actually is you know a messiah for these people yeah, like, yeah. like th- these apes would be totally lost w- without him and it, it really serves to show what he did in particular is special and necessary in a way that a certain space opera we talked about earlier i don't think <laughs> does 
yeah, screw Star Trek. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this this movie, it just, it really spoke to me. I really liked it. This this is blockbusters done right, 100% for me. So. I can get behind that pick. All right. Let's go to our number five spot. What's What do you got? My number five is Logan. Logan, all right. Not on your list? It's not on my list. All right. Um, Let's talk about that this, uh, like Star Wars, like The Post, this one's super personal to me because um, I feel Logan works thanks to the same uh, kind of circumstances that led to Toy Story 3 being this like colossal success in spite of the fact that maybe the movie wasn't as good as everybody thought it was. Like good, but not that good. Logan could be the same thing. I think a case could be made that it's really not the revelation everybody says, but yeah, um, it's similar to those circumstances in that I was a young kid when the very first X-Men came out and Hugh Jackman made a name for himself because he was awesome as Wolverine. And I, I wasn't, I'm not a comic guy. I wasn't a comic book kid. I didn't know anything about X-Men like that. That movie was my entry into caring about the, this franchise and the ideas that it represents, which I think are quite good. And I've been a, I've been a fan of a lot of those movies and, you know, the ones that suck, not so much. So here's Logan. And like we've been talking about, I like, I like my stories to have cappers. I like them to have well-executed goodbyes. And Logan checks off all those boxes for me that it is a movie about Wolver- Hugh Jackman's time as Wolverine on this earth is over. And uh, we basically get just two and a half hours of the pain of letting it all go. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe to a lesser degree that I haven't thought out quite as well, the state of superhero movies in general that, uh, you know, maybe this has something to say about the way those are going or are at right now. But outside of great performances, you know, I, I really like how dark and uncompromising Logan is willing to be. I just found it, it just seemed to sync up to like a lot of things that I personally have dealt with. Um, one thing, one thing I thought a, a lot about is I lost a grandfather I was very close to a little while back. And um, this, this idea of being the last of your kind, that um, you're, you're all that's left of your friends and people from this type of era. Like I, I would see that in talking to him. So these scenes of um, Wolverine, or I'm gonna call him Logan, because he's not the Wolverine anymore, of, of Logan taking care of Charles Xavier and this beautiful flip of, um, you know, he starts this franchise as the wayward soul that uh, Xavier takes in. Now he, he has gone through such an emotional arc that he will, he will do anything to take care of Charles Xavier. I, I think it's so touching and it's not something I expected from a movie in this franchise that is often capable of touching moments like that, but never on this profound a level, I don't feel. I don't want all my superhero movies to be like this now. I don't want to see old Iron Man like stepping off into the sunset. I don't think it works. Like I said, I think this is very importantly tied to Hugh Jackman's turn in this role, the X-Men franchise as a whole, and the the um, social commentary and the baggage that that yeah. that storyline like brings into it, but I was just surprised how much this movie gave me the feels and uh, just how different it was. But it didn't seem just like this. Hey, we'll try it this way as like a stunt to get people in the seats, a la the way the New Mutants trailer looks. What you've you've seen this one? What'd you think of it? So so for me, I wrestled back and forth between whether to put this in the spot that I put War of the Planet of the Apes in, because I, to me they're they're very uh, similar thematically. 
Logan very com- much. Logan comes with the baggage, like you said. T- to me, the to me the most interesting thing about Logan is the uh, the commentary on X Men is pretty much what brought about the modern superhero film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can ar- you can make arguments about Batman or Superman prior to that, but it's it's really X Men that that did that. So I find all of that very interesting. My problem is is that my problem is is not a problem is that <laughs> is that the, the movie it's so depressing it's it it's hard to see superheroes that you grew up loving needing help going to the bathroom you know mm-hmm. it, it's rough seeing characters that you really cared about either seeing or it being heavily implied that they die really brutal terrible deaths that don't really amount to much sometimes and kind of in that kind of in the same vein of what i was saying about star wars i'm i'm not sure that a superhero movie is the place to do that, to tell that story. Whereas, like I'm saying, Planet of the Apes, like I'm fine with seeing Caesar tell a similar story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's rough seeing that story being told about Logan and Charles Xavier. But like I said, that's not really a problem. That's the point. Sure. And and it's one of these things where... Because the... if it fit with any superhero, like it would be Wolverine, yeah. who is a character who's very much driven by pain and yeah. anger. Absolutely. And... and, and so on the one hand that's the whole point that's why it works so well it's just it's such a hard movie for me to kind of trumpet around how good it is because sure. it, it, it it's rough i mean when it ended you know again this is a compliment and a negative like the whole, the theater's just silent and you feel like you just had your guts ripped out but not in really a way that i wanted to revisit more just in a way where i was like well, I'm not going to watch that for a really long time, even though it was it was like really poignant and really great. Yeah. So for me, yeah, I'm not I'm I'm in no way disparaging this because this this really almost took my War for the Planet of the Apes spot. It's just that for that reason that it's such a hard view for me. That sure. I, I, yeah. I have a hard time saying, you know, it's a top 10. Everyone should go see it. Like, yeah, I, it would, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case here. It would be a hard sell for a Friday night uh, yeah. movie night in. But uh yeah, I I don't disagree with that at all. I think it is super depressing, and again, I don't think I I think this is kind of a lightning in a bottle, like just a perfect yes. mesh of all the elements. Because I don't think you can pull off stuff like this with basically any other character, yeah. or any other actor. Um, and, it, and it's worrisome hearing you know people who don't seem to get that. I've I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, we need to do this with like Batman. And it's like, uh, you you really do not. Like, no, no, you don't. I mean, we we kind of already got it with Superman. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not a I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people. So, are. so I agree. This this really is sort of a lightning in a bottle. And and again, I am not disparaging this. The, the, for, in an early draft of my list, this was at number one. So mine I mean, too. This was my number one uh, yeah. movie for a very very long time. Yeah, uh, I so. still think it's it's very good. There you go. What's your number five? My number five is Blade Runner 2049. Not on my list. Okay. So uh, I loved this. <laughs> like, I, I, I really loved it. This is another one. I, I mean, we're kind of to the point where all of these movies were number one for me at some point, including maybe even this morning. <laughs> and uh, we talked about uh, Ghost in the Shell earlier and how, like, what is the point of going back to this super influential movie? that you're not going to top. It's just going to be some hollow. Like for me, Blade Runner, which is like the predecessor to Ghost in the Shell, Mm -hmm. like Blade Runner 2049, in my opinion, totally blows away the first one. Not as far as being influential, but as far as being just like a really awesome movie that got me thinking. Yeah. A movie that works as you watch it and not just as you like think about the loose ideas it has. Right. And like, there's no way. I mean, when it was announced that they're going to make a sequel to this super old movie that, 
is itself super inaccessible and I've always felt really overrated. It's fascinating, but it's kind of a mess. It sounds like a terrible idea, but this is this is a great sci-fi movie. And I mean, there there's there's I just feel like everything is firing on on 150% here. The the special effects are great, the cinematography is great. There's that uh sequence involving like a uh, like a prostitute and a hologram. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? That's just like yeah, crazy weird filmmaking. My my beef with that is that that exact same scene was done better three years ago when Spike Jones did her. So I was about to say the the closest thing I can compare it to is her, but I think it was done better here. That's cool. It's it's certainly more accessible. Yeah. But uh, yeah. No, so I, I I like this movie too. Like everything I'm about to say is like my nitpick and like the ways I justified. Sure. Like bumping it just off my list yeah, because yeah. I think there's maybe. Uh, equally with Christopher Nolan, we give Denis Villeneuve a big pass because Arrival was so good, and now, like, we wouldn't dare kind of call him to task for like choices he makes yes. that maybe don't totally work out. So, so this is my if if I have a problem with this, and and honestly, this is what keeps it from being number one is Denis Villeneuve. I think is sort of a creep in a lot of ways. I think this movie has a huge problem with male gaze and and how it treats women and also how it treats minorities which is strange for a movie sure. with the themes that this movie has about exploitating uh, beings that we see as less than human. Sure. But at the same time, it's, uh, I don't know, I, I could see a case made for why that's very much on purpose because that's like part of the ugliness of it by being so about male gaze and exploitive, it maybe calls it into attention more than if yeah. uh, these these minorities that are exploited spoke out more you know because i I think i think the scene with the uh that is like setting up the third chapter or whatever with uh join our rebellion i i think it's the worst scene in the movie i don't think it fits like at all i i i I agree and i disagree so so just to to kind of touch on on all of that first of all yeah i've I've heard people kind of make that defense i just i don't think it's there I, i think most of the time that we see that ugliness it's not portrayed that way i mean i it's hard to say because I felt like it was ugly, but I don't know that the film felt that way. And, and it's hard to really mm-hmm. sort out my feelings from what it was trying to do. And, and at the end of the day, I can just say I didn't like it. Sure. Um, and I, I felt it was ugly, too, but I felt the movie was like making a commentary on like this is a package that but, we sell in this universe as well as you know, yeah. in, in art. Well, but so then there's this uh, the what you, you're talking about, the rebellion scene. I, I went into this hearing a lot of complaints that people were saying you can't people are they're trying to turn Blade Runner into this huge franchise and, and all this and it sets up a part three. I didn't get that impression at all. I saw that scene as sort of kind of almost what you're saying, like here's this thing that is sort of like ugly about filmmaking. Like mm-hmm. this is a this is this is the wrong choice and we're showing it to you and, and we're not gonna go there even at all. Like yeah. Because the rest of it, like, it doesn't have a ton of action, and no, it's not super insist. I'm I'm not a big fan of the uh, drunken fist fight with the Elvis hologram. Oh, I love that section. I mean, it's it's kind of oh, cool. I think that's, that's incredible. It's another one of those things like I was talking about Colossal, where I'm like, it's a little too clever by half. Sure. Oh yeah, I can see that. I guess. But but for me, I mean, this this movie is is great. It it was nearly my number one, and I'll and I'll just huge props to a. Uh, uh harrison ford kind of similar to what i said about force awakens a few years ago like i feel like he really sleepwalks through a lot of movies lately he sure does and uh he didn't seem to here he seemed to really try to get into the role of deckard whatever that is because that sort of just feels like it's him but like Mm. but when you see him when he's not acting you can tell it's you know 
Yeah, I, I feel like he, he kind of like goes back and forth, but I will admit that I really love the moment when he says her eyes were green. Yeah. I thought that was really Yes. Good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's another thing. This movie had like an exorbitant amount of like callbacks to the first one, fan service-y kind of things. But for the most part, they like worked. Like they were they were sure. in play for a reason, which was strange because as, as heavy handed as they were, you would you would think that they wouldn't, but but they do. I don't know. This is just another one of those movies that there's no reason it should have worked, but for me, it was just stellar. And and I, I'm hearing a lot of people say it's the best. I'm hearing a lot of people who didn't like it, but for me, I, I think this is better than the first Blade Runner. I think. I mean, obviously not as far as being original, but like. Yeah. Uh, In terms of a, a cohesive movie going yeah. experience, yeah. I yeah. think Blade Runner and is I think, a, I think a it, really I, fun movie to talk about, but watching it is a chore sometimes. Yeah. And I and I think that another really great thing about it is not only do I find it better than Blade Runner, I think that a lot of what it proposes and brings into that universe bolsters Blade Runner as a movie. I'd agree. Uh, I, I do think it and makes it, it a, right. Makes it a lot more palpable to go back and watch. Not everything, but yeah. on, on the whole quite a bit. Yeah. So. I enjoyed I it. I, I would very gladly watch it again. I, I probably do have to watch it again because uh, there's a lot going on there and I can maybe sift out the ideas a little more. But uh, no, it's pretty good. Yep. So uh, number four. Before What's your number four? My, my beloved little indie darling pick that shows up every year. My number four is Lady Bird. Okay. So everyone who knows me knows I love Boyhood 2014. My favorite movie that year. Thought it was so great. I still think it's so great. Um, so here we get Lady Bird, which seems to be uh, kind of a, a response to boyhood. We are switching our focus to a young woman uh, for one year of her high school senior year, but we're still gonna it's still gonna pay attention to those seemingly insignificant moments that are actually the most significant in terms of you know the moments of our youth that make us into who we wind up becoming. Th- this one was kind of kind of tough to place because. It, it is kind of like that slow indie one Oscar baitish kind of movie. But as I was ranking it, it kept jumping up spots because a, because of the performances are so good. Um, Shersa Ronan who plays Lady Bird is fantastic as this, you know, borderline unlikable character at times. I mean, she's, she's a pain in the neck and she's supposed to like, she's in high school, which of us, who of us was not me. <laughs> she's very good at walking that territory between just being a bratty high schooler and seeing like the things she perceives as problems that aren't and the things that she does that you just know she's going to regret later. But also Lori Metcalf as her mom. I think that's really the, the strongest point of this movie for me is the relationship between them. I love how it plays out because it's so combative, but the heart is there. You can tell it's, it's one of those, relationships where you're just trying to find that right communication bridge that you can use to reach through to the other one and i think the ending of the movie earns them finally starting to find that and again like boyhood it's not a movie that has these easy answers or is about that one awesome teacher that like changed your life and you went on like it's so much of it is almost flippant and can be cast off but every moment is so well acted um greta gerwig directs this movie beautifully because it doesn't go on forever the performances are true to life but also super entertaining both of lady bird's parents i love i love her dad he has a wonderful moment where he finds out that he and his son are interviewing for the same job 
and how he reacts to that situation melts my heart. I thought it was so, so good. So yeah, it's, it's not like most of these movies I've been listing. I have like this one thing that I like about them. This one issue that they tackle and Lady Bird is more of a movie. I just enjoyed washing over me. And part of it might be, you know, nostalgia to see where it syncs up with my own high school life. And part of it might be feeling superior that I didn't make similar mistakes, but, um, I really loved it. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of gravitas for award season and I hope it picks up a lot because it's one of the best acted movies of the year. Super fun, really funny. And, um, I think one of the more accessible independent films I've seen in quite a while. There you go. That, that surprises me because you've been sort of resistant when I've put like, uh, kind of teen sort of movies. That's true. On my lists before. That's true. I wasn't, uh, what was the last one? I think Perks of Being a Wallflower, Wallflower on our yeah. first show. I was, yeah, to me, to me, that movie was very much packaged of those moments of like that, that awesome manic pixie dream girl you met that changed your summer. Mm, yeah. So, you know, th- things like Boyhood and Lady Bird, which are, you know, they focus around just like the scene of the boy and his dad talking about the next Star Wars movie or Lady Bird going dress shopping in a thrift store. Like those moments, they ring a little more true to me. Oh, great. There you go. Uh, my pick. For, what, what are we on four? We're on four. Okay, so the, it's a guilty pleasure, but I'm very, 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 very enthusiastic about it. Uh, Kong Skull Island. Go for it. Uh, <clears throat> so a lot of Apocalypse times... Kong. A lot of times, uh, uh, like, indie or small uh, film directors get onto these franchises and they're given, like, a huge budget and... Or, well, a relatively huge budget and crew compared to what they're they're used to, and these movies come out that are just sort of just sort of nothing. Like in, in, they they play it safe. Like everything that you'd think that they were hired for, they don't do. Yep. And for me, this movie, or they get fired off the Han Solo movie. Yeah, or that. <laughs> uh, and and for me, this movie is like the total opposite. They you get a uh, what's his name Jordan Jordan Boat Roberts. Yes. And uh, it's like he just went nuts and just put every freaking thing that they could afford into this movie uh so, so just just right out including up, samuel L. jackson yeah no and so just right up the front this this movie it, it, it's a mess but it's such a, like gooey weirdly like lovable mess to me that that and just creative that it's just impossible for me to dismiss it when i first saw it, i the, i've seen it several times and the first time i saw it, i just i felt like like am i wrong for liking this because i can see all of the cracks but it's just it just goes like 110% on everything. The colors are just bright and pop and, and like you just, you don't see movies like this ever. Like I, with, with colors like this and just ridiculous. I mean, I don't, I don't mean like ridiculous in a bad way, but just these like over the top crazy yeah, ideas yeah. that you just think who would put this in a movie? And he does. And, and it usually works at least in and, on, in and on its own as a cohesive whole. I think the movie is a mess and he's, he often dives in, uh, a little more than he should yeah for particularly sure. with samuel L. jackson i, I feel there's <laughs> a lot of... that's funny because I, I prefer i mean the samuel L. jackson stuff is over the top but i vastly prefer it to anything tom hiddleston's doing oh yeah, yeah. i i hate everything tom hiddleston does in this movie but in, anyway th- this is a movie that that i've i've really wrestled with like for for all, all year pretty much as to whether or not it's actually good but the more i learn about it and the more i see the honesty that the 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 cast crew and director have about the things that they they overreached uh and didn't didn't quite get or or couldn't reach in the first place but tried anyway like i just i see this so clearly what they were trying to do and 
how weirdly fun and good it is regardless uh mm-hmm. it's just it's a it's a great hilarious fun action movie it's got moments that are scary to me it's got moments that are tense to me it's got moments that are fun i love this iteration of king kong i guess that's the other thing king kong is this is this uh he, he's this huge part of 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 cinema history and we kind of talked about this on our last episode that we we, we talked about giant monster movies and i feel like you have the original this is like timeless classic that that no one can top and there's been these reboots that constantly like try to reach it but are always like a little too thoughtful for their own good sort of a thing they they try to be the thinking man's kong sure. or in peter jackson's case maybe they it just expects everybody to love it as much as he does and and here this movie comes and along this movie comes along that's like that's like here's this great legacy i can't top it Let's not even try. Throw let's, some helicopters yeah, around. Man. Let's just yeah. Let's just have these. Just make it as awesome as I can. And and for me, man, it just works. Like it. I'll I'll give it up to the movie for being fun. Like if I if I don't like Fate of the Furious because like it's just yeah dumb fun that doesn't work. I find Kong Skull Island to be dumb fun that mostly does. Like yeah, I think the creature design is cool. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of Tom Hiddleston like gas mask macheting his way through everything. Pterodactyls or bats yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But no, I, I think uh, like the spider sequence thing is cool. I like the the final fight. Like, I and I can get into, like you said, a colorful world. Yeah, you know, that's not just like bleached out and stuff. Um, I I can ignore how the movie is just so out of its element in trying to be this Vietnam allegory. Uh, you know, yes, I kind of I kind of yeah. just put that off to the side and be like, well, and cool and giant monkey, to. right? And you have to, and that's kind of what I'm saying. This is this is this is a, a movie that for all of its errors it it does other things really right i feel that, that maybe it wasn't always trying to do and sometimes it was but like regardless like i just i love whatever he was able to to do whatever you're going to call this i'm i'm with you if you watch the the honest trailer screen junkies did for mm. it he guessed it on he i yeah. i quite like it i can see what you're coming from yeah. he's kind of up against a wall but he also cared well and the, and the thing is is that i i I feel that I'm not alone in, in, in feeling this way, which nope. is, which is the other, like I was really surprised at how well this was received by audiences when it came out and critics. Like, yeah, it was for, for, a, for a, a movie that movie. I'm, that I'm characterizing as sort of a mess. It's like weird how easy it is to get into and how almost anybody can have fun watching this. Yeah. Kind of, kind of weird. This people like this, but the mummy just crashed yes. and burned. Like it's weird. This giant monsters universe is doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to pan out in the future, but I really like what Legendary is doing as far as giving these small directors that you don't think should have the reins of a huge franchise like this, uh, just letting them have as much control as they've had. I think it's worked out really well for uh, both Godzilla and Kong. And I'm really excited for the next one, which is by, um, I forget his name. The the guy did Krampus and Trick or Treat. Doherty? Hmm? Yeah, Doherty? yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Krampus is great. So I, 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 I love this kind of thing and I really appreciate legendary. They've made some, some stinkers, but I really like, I really like, uh, the creative control that they give to people and the, the, um, kind of expertise that they bring to the table themselves to make these movies, not just kind of sure. floppy, nothing experiments, but actually something that people like and, and yeah. are able to get into. So like, yeah. And- as as like the smallest of footnotes, um, John C. Riley's joke about the ant is yes. like one of my favorite jokes in yeah, yeah. any movie this oh, year. He he kills it in that movie. I, I, that's the other thing. Like it's this movie that you don't think should pull 
I mean, you don't you don't like Tom Hiddleston or whatever, but it shouldn't pull the performance. I, I like Tom Hiddleston fine. I don't know like what this. he's asked to do in this. I'm movie. saying I'm saying, it, it, but it pulls these performances out of these people that I just you wonder like how on earth like how did they get John C. Riley to 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 do this and put his heart into it as much as he does? But he does. It's pretty good. All right, number three. We're in the we're in the the medals here. Yep. Um, my number three is The Shape of Water. That is my number three as well. All right. We, we lined up there. Oh, what a, this is a, along with three billboards, a movie I just wrestle with and wrestle with, and I still don't know what I feel about it. So it might be like, we're in the territory now. We were talking about this before uh, we recorded. Every year we've done this show, I have been so confident, like what my number one was. Like mm-hmm. I've known it for forever and I'm locked in. I can do the rest of the list. Any one of the movies in my top three could be my number one because I cannot sort out all my feelings on. So, mm-hmm. you know, this this one, uh, because it's thematic material has has been so challenging to me because I can I can vaguely get at what it's trying to do, but I don't have the conclusions. I can't decide if that makes it a better movie than how I'm ranking it now or if it's it's good in the three spots. So I've got it at three. But similarly, I, I just I'll give Guillermo del Toro a ton of credits um he definitely has his style he has his voice he likes to do um he's very unpredictable in the projects he will take up and finish but i i find he rarely is disappointing because even his stuff that we that is not like super well received like crimson peak was on our both of our lists uh a couple years back i i appreciate that if his stuff does not all come together neatly you very much can see the passion for it, not just in his production design, which is always great, but in in the writing he does that is sometimes maybe a little too easy. I'm thinking very specifically of the very first lines of this movie, which is narration about, hey, guess what? It's a fairy tale again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's he's so committed to that style of storytelling and he knows the tropes of it. He knows how to play with them and buck the stereotypes and uh he does it again really well here and i'll i'll kind of kick it over i I don't want to dominate a lot because i feel like you probably have a lot smarter things to say about this movie than i do but uh i was very surprised at how well he pulled off this love story between um sally hawkins and gilman because i did not expect for that to be the thing that was one of the best parts of it yeah so, so for me, you you touched exactly on what I like the most about him. He's <clears throat> maybe it's because he reminds me of me, and I'm an arrogant little jerk that is like trying to be as great as he is. But his commitment <laughs> to these kinds of fairy tales and fantasy and monster stories, like, and the way that he knows them so well and is able to to play with with those tropes to to come up with something that is familiar and new and poignant all at the same time, like I, I really like it. For me, this is a weird movie because it's clearly super personal to him. And we, we talked about this off mic before mm-hmm. that uh, it's really self-indulgent Yes, uh, in a huge way, probably more than any of his other movies, I think. There are, there are several sequences of this movie that everyone is calling like the best parts of the movie, and I, I still don't know what to do with them. Sure. But that all said, I think, I think, I think it's a testament to to not he, he this this is not this this is like almost the opposite case of king kong for me this is someone who's just going all in on all these crazy ideas but i i think they do it in a way that that does come together quite well so i don't i don't really know how to how to move forward with this discussion other than to say i think there's a lot of ideas here and there's a lot of things that feel loose and pointless that the more i thought about it 
that I was invested in while they were happening. But at the end, I'm like, well, geez, was there a point to that? Did that go yeah. anywhere? And this then, is just like Blade Runner for me. Like, I feel yeah. if I could watch this two or three more times, it would be like, oh, because this is, I would call Pan's Labyrinth his masterpiece. Yeah. I didn't like that movie at all the first time I saw it. The more I watched it, the more you realize how on top of everything he really is. Yeah. So, so I, I feel like maybe that's the case here. It, it, it very well might be because there's a lot of, of uh, you know, there's a subplot with kind of a, a false gay romance going on that I like. This is just an, a, a quick example of something that, that doesn't seem to have a lot to do with the main plot, but that uh, just on the drive home from the theater, we had a huge discussion about my, my wife and I and and found it extremely poignant about what it has to say about masculinity and rejection yeah, yeah, yeah. and how you respond to that and even consent to some to some level like um i'm blanking and i should look it up but i'm not gonna the the screenwriter on this not just guillermo but uh his, his writing partner i don't remember her name but i think i think she um really provided a lot of the the freshness that keeps this from just being another not that it would be bad, but another kind of a Guillermo del Toro romp. This could be like what I took Colossal to be up front. Like, mm. okay, like really weird high concept thing that's yeah. talking about other stuff that doesn't really mesh. I think it meshes so much better here than it does in Colossal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still like, made my list. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I really liked it. It's, it's one of those movies where it feels like a lot of disparate stuff kind of comes together in a really fun way. I, I like even down to their explanation or lack thereof of what this monster is that they found. Like, I like that they hint that, you know, like, oh, the tribes around where we found him think he's a god. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. It doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. like I, I, I don't know. I, I really liked it. Also, just you, you, you touched on this about production design, but it's incredible. And I was watching a, uh, a VFX reel of this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm blown away at how much of this is actually CGI that I had no idea. Oh, really? That's the way to do it. It's like a... Uh... Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Because I knew this was a, a small project for Guillermo, like relatively. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, they, they built quite a few sets for this small project. And they, and they still did. Mm-hmm. But, but there, there's whole hallways and city skyline. Like all of that stuff is completely fake. The, the movie theater sign, like mm-hmm. that's not even there. Interesting. Like, just kind of. It helps, it helps when you have his just mastery of uh, like the color palettes he used and yeah, stuff. Because when you, when you stylize things like that, it very and much he's, helps. He's one mask. of those directors that goes into the booth with the animators and is like, no, do it, the, you yeah. know, do it this That's way. That's what we like about him. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, so. no. Th- things you said, like if there's so many concepts that I'm just still like, I don't know the conclusion. The, the performances are all great. Richard Jenkins, who is always great. This might, might be like one of his best roles. Yeah. I, I love, um, like you said, what the, the movie is trying to say about the masculine image and i mm-hmm. i one of my favorite scenes in the movie is michael shannon having the discussion with the general or whoever is his boss and he's talking about um can can a man you know with a great record like is he entitled to one screw up yeah and the guy says i mean he basically says like no yeah and he, he says something along the lines of we we ostensibly believe in it because we export it yeah. but we don't actually believe in it mm-hmm. i thought that was a great scene and i think it's it's yeah, he's a monster michael shannon's character in this movie is uh it's it's yeah, really he, rough and i mean even outside you know it could be easy to say like oh yeah he tortures the monster the scene where we see his home life like is i thought it was super ugly yeah but i i like that the movie tries to humanize him a little bit it'll still i think i honestly think it humanizes him like perfectly because sure. he because he th- he's terrifying he is gross he is awful but 
You see where he's... I see why he does it. Like, yeah. he's really kind of backed up against a wall for the most part. There's, there, there are flaws about him that mm-hmm. are him. Uh, but that it just makes him all the more human, in, in my opinion. And and then very cool that our heroes are are both literally and figuratively the the voiceless yeah uh, people of society. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a great kind of tribute to people who feel or are really or who really are marginalized in in any sort of way. And I I don't know I I I, I this this is one of those movies where my thoughts are not really super put together because it is sort of sprawling in its in its ideas and the way that it's mm-hmm. laid out. And so I'm just going to end up gushing forever kind of a thing. But like, I, I really liked it. And, and the scene that, you, that you're talking about that everyone really liked, that's just a crazy out of left field thing. It's honestly my favorite thing I've seen on a theater screen sure. in years. Like it took, it took me back to being a kid and like falling in love with movies for the first time. And I'm, it, that's certainly what he was going for. Yeah, it, it is fun. And I'll, again, like knowing how much he loves movies and everything, like for him to just be like, you love movies too. Here you go. I'll be yeah. like, Okay, that's fine. Like, oh man. At the at the same time, though, like, I don't want to be too hard on Star Wars for being like super placating. Yeah, sure. If I'm gonna let Guillermo get away with this, stuff, sure, but, sure. So um, I loved no, it. Super, super good movie. We we love Guillermo, and uh, this will be a great Blu-ray to to buy because he always puts out he does good stuff that lets you into every facet of it. And I look forward to figuring out uh, mm-hmm. if I should have had this a couple spots higher. No, you're good. We're we're both at three there, so that's good. So, with that said, what's your number two? This is my guilty pleasure. Ugh. I feel like I can defend, like, why this is actually a good movie, but, like, when push comes to shove and I'm putting this list together and I'm trying to think about, oh, what does this movie say? I also have to grapple with, like, which, don't, which don't of these do it. I feel like watching, though? Don't worry about it. Spit it out. My number two is It. So, spoiler alert, this is higher on my list and we've only got one more spot, oh, so my. you're good. Okay, well, what's your number two? <laughs> uh, my number two is is uh, vaguely controversial. Uh, the Emoji Movie. No. <laughs> uh, so so this this film it did have a, a small run in some theaters. It uh, premiered at is it is it Can? I feel like an idiot because I don't know the names of these things. Is that how you Can pronounce you? it? Um, You're American. You and know and, and people really hated this because it's a movie that's produced by Netflix and is primarily going on Netflix. But I feel like this is the future. Shut up, everybody. This is a real movie. Uh, it's, uh, Okja from, why am I blanking on his name? Yeah. Uh, B- Bong. Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. Bong Snow Joon-ho. Snowpiercer. Uh, who did The Host and he did Snowpiercer. Yep. And, uh, man, I loved this movie. So d- have you seen this? This was on my list to try to watch before the show and I have missed it. Okay. I'm so so sorry. it's, it's, it's wild. So first of all, this is a director who he is, his, his trademark is that he, he always, tone shifts like out of nowhere from like the the extremes of hilarity to just the worst darkest he, depressing he thing sure does and uh this movie is no exception the uh premise here is it's about i guess it's in kind of a weird future like distant or not distant like cl- near future where uh a a meat processing company has uh found or claims to have found these super pigs quote unquote and they they set up a contest for people to raise them to see what the best environment is so that they can raise these en, en masse so that they can uh, use them as a, a viable alternative to, uh, I guess, pork. Uh, and so this girl in Korea, she she raises the biggest and best one. And, and it's your typical kid raises an animal and their best friends sort of story. And we, and we spend a surprising amount with them at the beginning, just seeing their day to day and the bond that they share. 
before the company comes in and the company takes the pig and she discovers what this is all for. And it's sort of about the ethics of, of the food industry, a little bit about animal rights, and on the whole, just like a super fun, weird, semi-monster movie that has just incredible performances. I I, I always hesitate to talk about uh, foreign actors by name because I hate butchering names. Yeah. But uh, for, for our Western listeners, it's got... Uh, Another name that I'm probably going to butcher. Jake Gyllenhaal? Is that how you say it? Gyllenhaal? I think that's how you say it. Uh, and uh, Tilda Swinton. And they are, sure. they are just like... great in Snowpiercer. They are just like unhinged, crazy performances from these guys, but in the best way. Mm. Um, They're quite good at doing those. Yes. Yeah, I, I, this is honestly tied for Jake for me for best performance of his with uh, Nightcrawler. Mm. I, 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 it, he is just so quirky and like a completely different person almost unrecognizable in a, in a way and uh tilda swinton this is maybe my favorite thing i've seen her in as well uh but it, it's it's just it's really 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 good and strange and it and what i really appreciate about it is that it's dealing with these sort of controversial topics it deals with genetic modification and food industry and so on but it doesn't really hardline any of these issues which makes it not only like accessible but also like open not open for interpretation, but like it, it deepens the argument that, that that can be made and, and shows kind of how complex these arguments are rather mm-hmm. than just saying like, Oh, we need to all be vegetarian in the end, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which would be really easy for them to do. But I would argue extremely lazy in the long run. Sure. I, I think it takes a really ecological kind of approach to this um, by kind of considering all angles and never, like I said, hardlining fully anywhere. But the other thing is just the the special effects on this are, are great. This the the title character Okja, the super pig, is like one of the best rendered non-humanoid CGI characters I think I've ever hmm. seen. There's a lot of emotion in that's its eyes without making it like a cartoon, although it is sort of a cartoon, yeah. but like I'd say that's cool cuz he's not known for his creatures uh super realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost in many ways the exact opposite of what we see in the host, which is just this clumsy ridiculous ugly kind of hard to read sort of creature this is very much like grounded and organic looking and and lovable and uh really great and there's and there's just there's some really great um action there's some really heartfelt moments it, it made me tear up a little bit in parts like and it and it's funny it's really funny it's maybe his funniest movie in many ways but like i said it it quickly vacillates to things that are very much not which is his thing but hmm. Uh, yeah, it was I, really good. I really did want to check it out. The, the time crunch is always a killer and uh, mm-hmm. pull the, the trigger on going to see things like Colossal and The Post. But I really wanted to see this because uh, yeah. as as somewhat uh, abrasive, like you're saying, as his movies can be, I often find I appreciate them after a while. S- similar to, to Guillermo del Toro, if it doesn't fit the mold of your viewing sensibilities or preferences, you can at least appreciate how... Uh, it's a it's a unique vision. I I felt this way about Snowpiercer that I I enjoyed the movie but didn't. It, it, like you're saying, it was this weird hodgepodge of tonal shifts. And the more I see that movie, the more I think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also, I I just I also like that it's on Netflix. Like I I don't really I'm not a huge fan of the way that the movie industry is kind of shifting, but uh, I like that a movie like this is put out here by a major platform. That, so that so that you can go check it out you know colossal was a movie that came out in a weird theatrical run and it's mm-hmm. sort of difficult to track down at times uh but this if you I mean if you have netflix just just give it a go and uh it's it's it'll be worth your time i sure will 
Are we come to it. Number one. My number one movie of 2017 is Get Out. Which was my number seven. Get Out is super good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I, it's, it's almost, I, I feel... I feel silly that this is like a, a movie you kind of have to walk around on eggshells for just because of its uh, subject material. Yeah. But I, I honestly, with the with the issues it's trying to tackle with racial tensions and racism, I maybe feel somewhat out of my element. So I don't want to be uh, too bold. But I I would uh, I would like to say like what I appreciate maybe the most about Get Out is beyond it being this amazing message movie that is masquerading as a very competently made. Um, genre movie in the horror genre um just how well written and made it is i think uh this is probably honestly my favorite screenplay of the year not only in terms of the good dialogue and the the observations it makes along with just like some really good jokes but the way i haven't gone back to rewatch it yet but i know this is the kind of movie that when you watch it the second time knowing what happens all of a sudden, every single thing that happens in Act 1 and it happens yep. through Act 2 is just meticulously put together to mean one thing the first time you watch it and a completely different thing the second time you watch it. Yeah, I'll second that. That, that For just the writing alone, I think this is the best writing period all year. Yeah, like, by I, a lot. I totally agree. And But, but yeah, like I was saying, it's, it's, it's one of these movies that I feel could play to everybody that if, if you're going into it to see this very thoughtful movie about kind of the intricacies of racism because that's another thing i like about it this is a movie about liberal racists yeah (laughs) that you know this this is not um what we would typically get in easier uh fair where it's just like the the white southern christian guy yep you know this is this is a movie that like is making the joke about the dad like sucking up to the african-american boyfriend by saying i would have voted for obama a third time if i could and um how that in itself can be problematic that kind of attitude and and just the ways in you know the symbolism it has about what was the term you used earlier like marginalizing yeah. and how people are if not exploited suppressed suppressed is probably the better word and the methods which are used to put those that group of people down in that place is is super amazing and um yeah i think but it, but it works like if you don't want to see all that stuff if if that is obnoxious to you or or whatever this is a super good just weird cabin in the woodsy horror movie yeah yeah. i think it's amazing i i'm not super well versed in jordan peele's work i've you know a lot of people love key and peele i've seen a bunch of sketches that i like but based on just like the things i had seen i would never expect a movie of this kind of competency and intelligence to come like first out of the gate this is his first time writing directing a major movie and that blows my mind because it is not only just meticulously put together but the performances are are all amazing this is i I have a lot of good casts on my list um i have get out i have it i have shape of water i have lady bird i have um the post like all these movies have amazing casts but holy crap this movie like maybe the brother goes like a little far in his weirdness sure that might be like the only nitpick i have about any of these performances because they fit so perfectly into the type of movie that they are starring in which in itself is like a two-faced thing so it's really hard to pull off yeah so what i like about this movie is like we already said the writing is is impeccable but uh yeah it, it it works even on levels that you know you you didn't even you know touch on one of the things that that um 
Peel has pointed out is that uh, it's also just about representation, just like a movie, like he, the, the black community really like has supported horror movies, but they're not always represented as the main characters or even in a good light. And that he, he has said that that's the impetus for why he did that, which is such a simple concept in such a yeah. complicated, deep movie. Uh, but that alone, like, is is a is a is a huge stride that seemed that just blows out the you know does just just does perfectly. Like, um, it, it was lower on my list just for for minor nitpicks, and I don't I don't want to get into it because it's your top. So you know, I, I, I mean, I, you could like I I also have nitpicks. I think um the best the best friend who acts as the the comic relief um maybe is counteracting the progressive ideas that the movie has with thing things so, he says for laughs. Sure. But at the same time, like that's not always the case. And I very much enjoy his character and I really love um, how that relationship ends up. Yeah. Well, in that, in that same way that like Okja, I don't think provides any, well, not any, but like a ton of hardline answers on a lot of stuff. It, it serves more to show this is more complicated than like mainstream media would make sure. you think it is. And I think get out like just, just, just runs with that. And I think that that friend character is, is a really great example of that. Of, yeah. On that, like, there really isn't a, a totally hard line between like what is or isn't okay, and maybe things that you think are okay maybe are not, and vice versa. It's the Zootopia of horror movies. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's no, pretty I, good. Yeah. Any nitpick I would have, like, I, I would not say it's like a perfect movie, but my goodness, the things that are amazing about it, mm. I, like, I can't even think about the things I don't like because. Yeah. There's just way too much to appreciate and just stand in awe of. Yeah. And, and, I, and I like how, uh, you know, the, the mainstream has, has picked it up and kind of ran with it. You're seeing, yeah. you're seeing it get a lot of attention, maybe not as much as it deserves from award shows, but, uh, as far as just, as far as just the audience, as audiences go, people, people have loved it. People have watched it a lot. There's sure. a lot of, uh, courses you're reading about coming out, uh, even ones that are totally for free that the public can just get online and take. Uh, and I, I think, I think this is, I think this is a, a really important horror movie. I do too. I, I am very interested to see the effect this has within like the next five years, not only in, like you're saying, the, the discourse around these ideas, but like really just in the film industry and like the horror genre. Like I, yeah, th- th- I, I have is... high hopes that this leads to something good, but it could be, could be like a Pulp Fiction scenario sure. where like every imitator is just awful. Well, but we'll and, still and always have this one perfect thing. Right. And I know I'm coming, I'm going to come across as hypocritical based on the things that I've chosen around this and how I put it so low on my list and what my number one actually is. But like, this is, I think this is the, sh- the kind of the shot of fresh air that, that horror has needed for a while. Like, hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I don't look at the past 20 years as a bunch of garbage for horror, but like, it's very samey for the most part. And a lot of stuff that's good, I think it's kind of swept away. It does. I I feel like every year has had one like mind blowingly great horror movie, but, uh, but I really am championing, I really am championing, championing this to be kind of that thing that, that is going to last and be the one that, you know, we point to in 30 years and go like, okay, from this era, this is the one that. I, I really hope. I really sure. think there's a huge I, chance for that. It's it's up there. I I can't tell if it's just like I've lived with it so long and I still champion it. Um, I love the Babadook. The Babadook for yeah. so long has been like this will go down as the best horror movie of the decade and a decade that has a great horror movie every year with Cabin in the Woods or It Follows. But Get Out uh, very well might dethrone Babadook if I give it some more time to do it. I, I think it will. Both personally. both great movies about um, yeah. like you say representation. And, the difficulties faced by minority groups. All right. 
Yeah, I think it's great. It's my favorite movie of the year. There you go. And for my number one, I wonder what your favorite. Yeah, we've already said it. We've already said it. It was your number two. uh, It. So I think we're kind of on the same page though, because you were kind of uh, yeah spinning a little bit about like kind of wrestling. Like, why is it this good? Or or if I'm if I'm reading you right, I mean, I know why it's this good, but I'm I'm putting on a podcast in which I'm trying to sound uh, like I know what I'm talking about and smart, and I have it at number two ahead of things like Lady Bird and Shape of Water. Yeah, I so be, be kind to me is basically what I'm saying. Well, and and me, I mean, this, this this there's just no denying this is the movie I liked the most, you know, and and I'm kind of in a similar spot. Like, it it doesn't feel like it should be because it doesn't feel as weighty as a lot of these other no, things. No, for sure. And it feels like it really leans heavily towards just basic kind of popcorn horror stuff, even though it it doesn't, but it does. <laughs> and uh, but there's just no denying like when this movie came out. It was a, it was a, I mean, t- things move so fast now, but at the time I felt it was a cultural touchstone, like a ton mm-hmm. of people saw it mm-hmm. and it was wildly successful. And the thing is, is that the the weeks immediately after that, it was just every single weekend me, me thinking like, oh, I really want to go see, it. I mean, honestly, every single night I was like, I, yeah, I yeah. want to go check that out again. Like, that's really good. And and it just came out on uh home video and I, I i've seen it in the stores and i've just been like oh yeah I, I need to watch it again like it's just one of those movies that just grabbed me right from the beginning and just and just pulled me all the way through and i still hadn't had enough yeah well well i'll make the case because i like I, I spun my wheels for like two minutes before i even said the name of the movie i i would get critiques people have of it that it's it's very repetitive um and its structure like a, a lot of it is this the first half is just the the same scenario of like a kid winds up alone, Pennywise terrorizes them, they get away, and that's like a, a common horror trope, like you said. So I, I wouldn't say like, oh, it's this avant-garde movie in terms of structure or anything, but I do think it's a smarter movie than maybe people would give it credit for, and that's yeah. that's kind of why I justify having it this high, because while it is, um, it plays those things, which I'm honestly okay with, because I came to the movie to see Pennywise mess with a bunch of kids, sure. so like, thanks for showing him mess with all of the main characters. Yeah, right. But I think this is a very good movie about um, that time in your, your childhood, your life where you are trying to figure out where you belong. And um, I like the commentary that the movie and subsequently the novel it's based on the, the commentary it makes about the forces that uh, oppose you at that time of your life. And um, I think that they're incredibly well handled here. I think it, this plays as a, again, like a, a really good popcorn movie. And the, you know, the subtext is not as strong as it would be in, say, something like Get Out or Shape of Water. But at the same time, I kind of like that it's Trojan horsed in there um, and that people just flock to this because they love like the movie about the scary clown, but didn't expect it to hit on like what a tough time of life that is. The, the scene I think about is the cleaning up the bathroom yeah. scene that, again, in terms of all these moments I've talked about that were very emotional for me and hit me. That one was really up there in terms of this idea that uh, you just need a couple of really good people to surround yourself with who will do things like this for you. And that's what makes all the difference. For me, what surprises me about this movie, it's what you're saying, but maybe kind of seen from a, a different vantage point or something. But like, what I found really interesting is that I didn't feel like that was Trojan Horse in. I feel like that is the movie. Like, yeah, sure. there's a lot of, you know, obviously a scary clown running around, but like, there's well, a, I, I just feel it, like that's it, all because all the reviews are like, yes. we all agree clowns are scary, right? Yeah, yeah. But like just a colossal portion of the screen time is just devoted to kids doing this kid stuff that doesn't yeah. have a lot to do with 
fighting a clown, although it does thematically. But to to me, that's that's what I really liked is walking away from this and going like, yeah, this is a movie with a bunch of jump scares and it's a scary R-rated movie. But like you could like weirdly cut all that stuff away and you'd have a lot of like really um, investing clips of, of yeah. kids in the setting like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that would still be like, oh, interesting. And so I like that. I also liked that it's a movie that it I mean, if you've read the book. I have. There, I, I quite enjoy the book. There's actually. a lot of heavy convoluted lore surrounding this story which is actually kind of what i like the most about the book that's what a lot of people like about it but what i really appreciate is that the movie it's sort of its answer to streamlining this is kind of like glossing over things in a way that still felt satisfying like Mm -hmm. for for example uh there's a thing in this movie where the the adults don't seem to notice what the kids are doing and and yes this works on like an allegory for like when you're a kid you don't feel like your parents even see you and perhaps that's even true because your problems seem small to them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like the movie still kind of gives you an in-universe answer without like a ton of exposition sure. as to, as to what Pennywise's influence is over the town and over the adults. And, and as it turns out, they're actually uh, written in the, in the screenplay. And I believe it was shot, but cut there's, there are actual exposition scenes about this. I, I've heard some of them uh, might get clipped onto part two. Yeah, I, I have too. But, but my point is, is that like, I, I really appreciate the decision to just not, deal with that to sure. just to just to just hint at it give you enough of an answer that it's okay to, to streamline the film and, and make it work mm-hmm. and and i mean i hate saying that because you know if, if an extended cut comes out or if part two is heavy on this sort of stuff and it's good i'll still gush about it yeah yeah for but, sure i'm but super I feel, excited i feel like there were just really really good decisions made about uh that, that, that don't seem conventional that don't seem like the right decision but that absolutely were made mm-hmm. throughout made throughout the whole movie yeah. um and and the, the the child actors. I mean, this movie is carried oh, by children. Oh my gosh! And and you would never expect a movie to be completely carried by children and for it to work. But it's it's like the best children's acting I've seen maybe ever. I, like I was gonna say, I went back and listened to last year's show, and we had a bunch of movies on there where we felt a bunch of different movies had one good, really child performance apiece. What like what? I, I'm not... uh, like a monster calls. Oh yes, yes uh, was yes. the big one. But uh, no. th- there were others like the monster mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but. Like it just made me think, like, well, it has like eight of those all yeah. in the same movie. Like it, it really is amazing how beautifully, I mean, how perfectly cast all these kids are. But how much none of them steals the spotlight. You know, um, yeah. Richie from Stranger Things. Like he, I when that decision was made, I was like, he's just gonna. That's all anyone's gonna look at. It's just gonna be the kid from Stranger Things, and he's gonna take over the show. And he has the the part that's really flashy and funny, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um. But then the kid who plays Eddie and the kid who plays Ben and my personal favorite is Bev. I yes, think that actor is so that. amazing. Yeah. And this this is a deviation from the source material that I think is great. Mm-hmm. That she is ostensibly the leader. In the book, it's Bill. Bill yes. will see us through this. Uh, a lot of people had problems that, you know, the, the final act kind of is a princess in the tower. The boys have to come rescue her. And it drives me crazy because I'm like, yeah. he took her. Because yes. they're helpless without her. She's yeah. the best of them. The other thing, though, is that scene is handled so well because he has her. I mean, this scene has been circulated like crazy in memes and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But he's he has her and he's trying to like torment her. And she just has this look on her face like, what? What? Is, what? <laughs> yeah. What are you even doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's just so great. Which which brings me into the I, I think the kids deserve top billing. But um, Skarsgård. Skarsgård. This is like I, I said this oh, in my man. initial review on online that. This is this is right up there with uh, uh, Freddy Krueger for me and Frankenstein's mm-hmm. monster from the mm-hmm. '30s. Like this is an all-time great monster performance that 
just blew me away. He is so good at this walking this line between like the the fun this thing has with tormenting people and being like kind of darkly humorous about it sometimes, but yeah. also he has those moments of uh, slipping away where you really get that sense of like the eternal nature of what it really is. It's not just a guy in a clown suit. Yeah, and I like that. And I mean, I I like Tim Curry as much as everybody else. I don't understand why so many people love the miniseries. I think it's more a nostalgia thing than yes. anything. But, you know, even Tim Curry with all of his talent could never really sell that, you know, otherworldly, eternal perspective yep. on like what this thing really is. Um, but Skarsgård balances it all so beautifully. And the, the other thing I like about Skarsgård, though, is he's, he's balancing that the, the eternal monster with like the, the clown persona. Yeah, yeah. But also that he's not really good at it. Like, no, no. and that's why I brought up that thing with Bev. Like, like he is super, you can see this kind of almost self-loathing, like self-loathing frustration with him all the time because he's like messing up. He's not good enough to always, mm-hmm. well, not even always to ever really get these kids and scare them enough. Like, yeah, well, that, that's, what's fun is to, to see him like freak out when it doesn't work. Cause he's so used to, yeah. I, I think the book makes it more clear that, you know, the reason it targets kids is because it's easier to manipulate their fears yeah. and stuff. So it's very fun to see that not work out i really i really love the moment the the house on kneebolt street sequence in the middle mm-hmm. uh, is one of my favorite scenes in any movie all year i think it is so immaculately put together but i love the doors yeah the the yes. scary not yes. scary at all that that gives it the one i'm talking about as, as like you're saying he he's trying to be this darkly humorous tormentor but it it kind of works but kind of doesn't yeah and 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 i and i i think that's another uh change from the source material that i really like i like that it's uh put in the 80s even though i hate mm-hmm. i hate 80s nostalgia i hate that it just is kind of homaging all those great 80s horror movies but for the most part I, it I, works. I think yeah it really works and it works because of things like that that these are kids who are a lot more self-aware than than a kid in the 50s would be these kids have been exposed to a lot more horror in particular i mean the 80s is a, a time of oversaturation mm-hmm, for horror mm-hmm. and, and perhaps that's why I feel like Get Out is the first like really great important horror movie in a long time because the 80s just like gave so much kind of to the point that it kind of almost sunk the ship for a while. Hmm. Uh, that's a debate for a different time. <laughs> I, that's how I feel. But th- 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 these kids, they're, they're not necessarily scared by everything that he's throwing at them and I, and I love it. But that he, he has to keep trying. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's so amusing and scary and interesting. And, and I think that's what, what the, my main takeaway from this movie is, is that it's just, it's so interesting in the, in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I loved this movie. I was so surprised it was as good as it yeah. was. And, uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to part two because, uh, <laughs> we go into some different territory yeah. and I think it's maybe the more interesting ideas, but the they're harder to pull off. Yeah, that that's my that's my one kind of uh, hold back we, here. Is this like Force Awakens? We it tentatively is. like this. Based it on is. How... It is. Well, so I have I haven't bought this yet. Although we're talking about it, and I'm like, oh, I want to go get this. So Let's I can, go. I can watch it right after we're done. But I I just feel like, do I want to buy into this when it could just end in a huge mess? I I don't know. I don't I don't know how I feel. But I I agree that it it could it could pull off to be incredible. But it's it's going to be a lot harder than the time they had mm-hmm. here. But having having seen this and um, his first movie, Mama, uh, yes. I think I think Andreas Machete is uh, up to the task. Is is Guillermo del Toro involved in Mama? Is that it? Is that yes? His thing? He kind of discovered it. Okay, it was a it was a short film that they fleshed out, and uh, it's kind of weird. I've seen the short mm-hmm. 
I it's kind of weird for me that like Guillermo saw it and like saw so much potential in it because it's it's so disjointed and weird. But the movie that they like fleshed it out to be is actually pretty good. It, yeah. it again, it can be um, a little by the numbers and clunky. But when you kind of get behind, and, and this is probably the other thing that drew Guillermo del Toro to it, when you get behind the tweaks it's trying to make to kind of fairy tales and you know mm-hmm. ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, it's actually very clever. So yeah, I'm, I think he's up to the tag. All right, well there, there you go. What a what a good year for horror. Yeah, it really was. All right, so there's our top ten. Are there any oh, honorable, honorable mentions, mentions that yeah. did not quite make your top ten? List? So so we mentioned a few of them, like like uh, Logan and and stuff. But the ones we didn't mention for me are uh, I really liked Split from M Night Shyamalan. Mm. Uh, okay. I think I, I I thought it was it was weird and it's hard to buy into the concept he gives you, but. I liked it all the way through because it, it, it's a tremendous performance from James McAvoy. It is pretty good. Yeah. And then, and then I, I hate hinging a movie on its twist, so I so I don't here. But that twist yeah. at the end, I I was it's <laughs> it's the one I've been waiting for for years from him, and I'm excited. And they're moving forward with that idea, so that's Could really good. I really like that. Also, uh, for me, it, it's a flawed movie, but Wonder Woman, like uh, also on my list, I super flawed. I I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's getting accolades. It's making like tons of like the American Film Institute voted mm-hmm. one of the 10 best movies of the year. Yeah. I, I 100% rally behind what a inspiring and like cheerworthy movie it is. I think Gal Gadot sincerely gives one of my favorite uh, performances in any movie this year. I think she makes that movie. The movie itself falls prey to so many of the same problems that every other DC uh, EU movie has. It's plotting is really messy. It's bad guys are a joke to the point that two of them are ripped straight out of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, that's true. It didn't, it didn't make my list, but um, I, I would totally watch it again just because Gal Gadot was so awesome. And then, and then uh, one more for me, it's the one we saw together. Uh, Alien Covenant came really close to my Which, top 10. Cause I came, like it. That came very close to making my worst of list. Really? Cause I, I like it a lot, but it's such that, you, you know, that, yeah. that franchise has gone so off the rails. Yeah. Well, hey, there's six more coming, Great. I guess. Right. Whenever Great. Ridley Scott, you egomaniac. Yeah. But I, I, I think, you know, it's disappointing for an alien movie, but for a really weird sci-fi, old school haunted, haunted house slash mad scientist movie, I think, it, I think it's really fun. It, mm-hmm. it just lets me down for the name that it carries, quite, okay. quite frankly. And, and it completely drops the ball on anything Prometheus uh, sure. put out there. The ending makes me super angry. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's unnecessarily bleak and dark for no reason. For no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But flutes, they're coming yeah, back. That's true. That's true. <laughs> is that all, is that's all your honorable mentions? Yeah, those are mine. All right, movies I l- really really liked that just barely missed my list. Um, I have the Florida Project, which similar yeah. to Lady Bird is uh kind of one of these just slice of life ones. Uh, also with just some crazy good child performances. Uh, borderline unlikable. Really? characters just like lady do, Bird. do you recommend it to me like i that was yeah weird. yeah yeah was for sure i really I th- wanted to see a uh, really good movie about um just certain side of the poverty line mm-hmm. we would probably rather not take a peek at as well as just um it's kind of potent commentary about what uh, american life is like in the shadow of the disney world the american dream yeah. yeah um no yeah really good i'm seriously like if i'm being honest with myself it's probably a better movie than colossal mm-hmm. i just so 
like refused to boot Colossal yeah, off my list. So I, I just barely missed the mark. I understand. Um, s- similar to it, but like I don't have like any sort of like loose way in which I can say this movie's actually about something. It's just super well done. Uh, Baby Driver from Edgar Wright. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not Edgar Wright at his best, but still proves he is uh, an incredibly talented director who really knows how to put all the elements together to deliver something that's cohesive and fun and uh, different. Yeah. If for nothing else, that one's worth checking out, at least for the like first third. Like, I don't think you can watch that first part and not like it. You know? Oh, yeah. No, I, I probably, few movies put a smile yeah. on my face as much as Baby Driver did. Yeah, yeah. Um, we already talked Dunkirk and Blade Runner, and um, I like Spider Man. Okay, Boo. I I was low. I was down on it when I first got out. The the more I think about it, the more I think it's pretty pretty good. Um, but yeah, pretty low on the list. I also I liked the Disaster Artist. Yeah, I didn't think it was like as hysterical as everybody no. thinks it is. I don't uh, think it was that re- maybe it's just because I'm I'm getting old. And- I didn't think it was very funny, and I thought a lot of stuff was super cheesy and like yeah. not believable. And then when I looked into the real like the book, and 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 saw what they had changed, I don't I, like almost every single change that they make to that story is is for the worse. Like it it mm. it, it hinders that movie. It, you would think that they'd make changes so that it works better in a film and is more streamlined, but they True. they don't. Like they just make it just for it seems just to be cheesy and stupid. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll give it up to the movie for having good performances, but uh, yeah. The, the message of it is muddled. I've heard some people yes. try to defend it to be like, no, it, it really is this great movie because it's about not playing by the system and you go and make your own dreams. And I'm like, yeah, if you have a bottomless yeah. bank account. <laughs> yeah. It's for me, for me, I, I, you know, obviously keep comparing it to Ed Wood, but how like, oh my gosh. but how like Ed Wood is a movie about a guy. I mean, it, it also has made changes to the true story, obviously, but Ed Wood is a guy who like made movies within the Hollywood system again, mm-hmm. like to spite them kind of a thing. Or in spite of them. Yeah. And this is about someone, yeah, who who just was so wealthy that they were able to just do something they want. It's it, it's weird. It's not, that's not as good a message to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think I, it's I a good know movie. a lot of people like it. I, yeah. I honestly feel like I'm just, I'm outside the age group now because I've never, I'm not at the point where like, I think it's super fun to watch The Room. I'd rather watch yeah. like an actually good movie. No, I, I agree. So um, it's a good movie, but yeah, I didn't fall for it. And then my last one, uh, besides Planet of the Apes, that like never really stood a chance of getting on my list, but like tentatively was in the 10 spot. Not because I thought the story was very good, but just because I enjoyed the experience. But I had a lot of fun in The Greatest Showman. Similarly, mm. its message is so problematic and muddled, but uh, mm. cool soundtrack and uh, flashy in the ways I, I, I like Moulin Rouge. I saw a lot of Moulin Rouge in this, oh, yeah, yeah. but without uh, some of the nuances. Sure. So, yeah. There you go. So there, at the beginning, we were saying we were hesitant to call this a good year. There's a there's a whole list of movies that I I would happily go see again that uh, made me happy. So what's uh, b- before we let everybody off the hook? Another part of our traditions is a section we like to call "I Told You So." Uh, this is where we <laughs> talk about the Man. movies for next year we're excited for, and then over the course of the year, uh, we will text each other back and forth and say, "Hey, remember when you were excited for Finding Dory?" How did yeah. that work out for you? Yeah. What What do you got? Throw it at me. Well, not a ton, honestly. As I'm looking through the list, um, Isle of Dogs. I'm not sure what to make of, but uh, I'm a huge Fantastic Mr. Fox fan. I've liked yep. I've liked basically all of Wes Anderson's movies, so I'm down for it. We got Ready Player One, which is my guy Spielberg. I uh, I'm a little hesitant on that one. I don't know the source material at all, but uh, that's that but... seems to be playing very heavily into this kind of uh, 
placating nostalgia. Yep. Uh, but I think he's a, he's a good guy to do that since he created most of what we now yeah. idolize. So yeah. maybe he'll he'll have a good take. That's gonna be the one I tell you. I told you someone. Okay. <laughs> maybe. No, I, no, maybe not. Spielberg's great, but you never okay. know. I'm still scrolling through the list. What do you got? Okay, so I've got a I've got a few. Um, as far as uh, I have animated fair up front, so we've got uh, Early Man from Ardman. Yeah, I, always good. I think the trailers for that are pretty bad, but like they they sure are. They have never made a movie I haven't liked, so. I'm I'm looking forward to that, and then right after that, uh, I have Isle of Dogs, which you know I'm I'm iffy on Wes Anderson, but I it, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, so <laughs> it is so really those good. are good. Um, and then we've got Incredibles two, which it's on my uh, list too. It's sort of it's it's for me it feels a little too late, like it really does, and I'm nervous. That's my favorite Pixar movie, and uh, yeah, and the, Brad the plot Bird. line as we know it seems quite lazy. It seems. Yeah. Uh, Finding Dory territory, but maybe I have faith in Brad Bird. Yeah, Brad Bird's let me down a lot in the past few years, personally. But and then uh, this this Christmas or holiday season upcoming, uh, Ralph breaks the internet. I'm hyped. I love Wreck It Ralph. Um, About the Predator. Is that coming out this? Oh. Shane Black doing a Predator movie. Um, I've heard some Ten. weird stuff about it. Yeah, as as we could from a Shane Black movie. Yeah, I'll, the, I'll carry uh, the goodwill from Nice Guys over to. Yeah, uh, I, obviously I'm going to see it. I love the Predator movies, but I, the early screenings I heard some pretty weird stuff coming okay. out of that. Um, but as far as live action stuff, I've got uh, the sequel to Pacific Rim's coming out, which I do not expect to be even close to as good as the original, which no. was my number one that year, best movie. Yeah, uh, that trailer's pretty bad. The trailer, is, Guillermo's absence is immediately apparent. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, but st- you know, it could still be something different and interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to, and I know you probably are not, but Rampage with The Rock. Uh, yeah, that looks mm. fun to me, and it's a silly concept, and I think that might actually, in a, in a silly sort of dumb way, I think that might have the potential for being the best uh-huh. video, video game movie of all time. Uh, this summer, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World is, a, is another movie I love, but it is terrible. It's like the, <laughs> it's like I, I I literally think it's the dumbest movie I like. It, it's your Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. because no, I agree. I like I like it too. But you watch it and you're just. Like, yeah, you're just like, what did, what did How they does even this do? make all the money in the world? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm excited for that, and it's got a good director, so I'm excited. But again, terrible trailer for that currently circulating, I, I feel. Yeah. But then here's my wild card. Here's my thing that is coming out that I'm, I have my eye really on. It uh, is called The Happy Time Murders from the Jim Henson Company. Ooh. It's, it's basically Roger Rabbit, but with, like, puppets. Cool. And it looks awesome there's some really good concept art of like these like noir muppet detectives looking at like a dead muppet with all its stuffing ripped out it looks awesome so you never know jim henson is is sort of a there's no guarantee with that company but i'm looking forward to it well i think that about wraps it up thanks a ton anthony i always look forward to this show it is a ball of fun and like Pennywise, it satisfies my list-making urge for another year until I have to resurface and That's do it true. all over again. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and thank you uh, for being the very first Cinemust host to do two episodes in a row. Woo! You want to make a speech about how that feels? Feels good. Cool. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, as always, to uh, reach out to us on our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, or in the comments section of this posting at Cinemust.com. We would love to hear what your favorite movies of the year were. And uh, we will see you in two weeks for our next episode. Bye.